Well, you better have something to say. <laughs> I got some. Tank for Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Tank for Caleb. Oh, jeez. Really? One. Oh, my God. Did I just watch that shit? Yeah, it's crazy. You probably you. didn't even watch. You probably were at a game or something. Yeah, I was at a something, but I kept an eye on it. And yeah. It just looked bad, bad, bad. Oh. Yeah. Was I mean, you haven't lived here your whole life. That's got to be one of the most disappointing openers. Ever. Based, especially like when, Ever. You, when you factor in the hype and the, the whole hype, thing. the opponent, right? Yeah, your team. Rams will be easy. Offense. <laughs> they lost everybody. Defense. <laughs> special teams. <laughs> I'd like to be able to sit here and say, "Well, I'm encouraged by dot 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 dot." Yeah, well, what and would that I don't want to hear. I I know what people are going to say. Oh, but the run defense was much better. Was it? Well, forty carries, ninety-two yards. Okay. Mm. Except for the fact that. They got a first down on every third down after not being able to run the ball. Yeah. Oh. Good news is they get the Lions next, too. Are the same old Lions, right? I mean, they're crappy. I can't believe yeah. that that's what we got. That's the product we've been waiting for. I cannot believe <laughs> yeah. that we have now 17, 18 more weeks of this. That can't be real. That's got to be some sort of a prank. Tell me that like Alan Funt is going to jump out from behind my sofa and say, <laughs> it was a joke. We're really starting the season next week. Right. Yeah. This yeah. was all a big gag. We're going to kick Tell off in a couple that. hours. It's a joke. Night game. At least we have the Mariners. <laughs> That's true. At least. Remember you said this is going to be such a oh, better than the year where you know, with the Masters and the NCAA. Tur this could rival that. Oh, my favorite time. This could rival. I When's said that this was start? going to be a. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I take it all back. <laughs> when is that fun going to start? I take it all back. Holy hell. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? I cannot believe how bad the Seattle Seahawks were. Yeah. Straight turd all the way around. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. People are never fired after one week, but I, I <laughs> they are putting that to the test. And you factor in if like, there was anybody actually running the organization. It's so bad on the field. And then you factor in oh, both the tackles went out, just the injuries. Just an absolute disaster. Nightmare. And yep. that's one of the worst teams in the NFL that came right to your ballpark and just took you out by the woodshed. I think one of the worst teams in the NFL was the one that hosted that team. Not a good team. Let's get... Is it possible that this is just an aberration? Maybe. I that honestly, sure. it was just a, a complete turd and they're going to turn around in seven days and be the team in Detroit that we all thought that they were going to be when we watched today? Is it possible? It's possible. Of course it is. So but this it, was a full system yeah. meltdown at home against a bad team. Not good. Where you were better at virtually every position outside of like nose tackle. <laughs> right. Outside of Aaron Donald and quarterback probably. Like if Jimmy the Greek were alive and he was doing the check marks. Right. Oh, remember yeah. the check marks sure. he used to do with Phyllis George yeah, yeah, yeah. before he'd punch Brent Musburger in the nose? He punched Brent Musburger in the nose. In it wasn't why he got fired, but yes. He punched him right in the nose. Did he really? In a bar, yeah. Oh, punched him right in the nose. He seemed like a nice guy. He Remember he used to do the check marks? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. The Seahawks, personnel-wise, I think would have gotten check marks right. at virtually every position outside of nose tackle. Maybe I'm hallucinating a saying, little yes, bit. Yes, on paper. They were 10 times better on paper. Yeah. And by the way, how is it working not playing people in the preseason? How's that going for you both health-wise yeah. and production-wise? Yeah. 
Are they real sharp coming out of the gate? <laughs> yes. Well, are they machines. real healthy? Are they ready yeah. for the physical contact? Now, somebody would say, Mitch, you have no proof. You have no way to connect whether not playing guys in the preseason at all. And then this rash of injuries that happened in week one in all the different cities. I have no way of connecting it. I don't. I'm not a doctor. I, I have no way. Yeah, no data to back it Seems up. Seems suspiciously coincidental Yeah. to me that guys are going out of these games left and right, guys that either have not played at all during the preseason mm-hmm. or have played like one series during the preseason. Really mysteriously coincidental. It's a twofold for you is what you're saying, right? Not only do the guys who not play get injured, but then they don't look ready. They no. don't look sharp. Like, no. They haven't seen game speed no. in six months. The Seattle Seahawks hotshot. I'm not sure you're aware of this because you were at a kid's game. Yes. They got 12 yards in the second half. One first down. Is that right? Oh, yeah. 12 total yards. 12 wow. total yards in the second half offensively. And they had 11 guys out there the whole time? I'm not sure about that. They might have been disorganized. <laughs> it's still not sure. In the meantime, yeah. they forced one punt the entire Jeez. day. The Rams had the ball nine possessions, and they punted one time. And I think the time that they punted, they weren't even trying to get a first down. This is how bad, full system, the Seahawks were. Yeah. I kept looking down and seeing just looks like no one's covering the middle again this year. No, we're, we're not no, doing that, right? No. Okay. And let's just let some journeyman, some no-name wide receiver, because Cooper Cup's not playing. Yeah. So let's just let another guy that nobody wants catch 12 balls across the middle. Is that the former Husky? I think he transferred after one year. Well, he maybe. did transfer, yeah. but did he ever really play for the Huskies? I think he had one kind of good year, but... Is he on your fantasy team now? Are you scrambling no. to pick him up after that game? <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, know, man. my God. What it, did I just watch? I honestly, I think what about it every time. What the fuck yeah. did I just <laughs> I don't know. Excuse my French. It, it I know here. this is supposed to be a family show. It is. Oh, no, okay. it's not. What the fuck did I, I just watch for three hours? Think about I the, can't believe that. I just think about the fans that were up at 7 a.m. They get the tailgate shit ready. They're setting up their tent and the TVs. They, for that, I mean, oh, thanks. God. Thanks, Seahawks. Episode 254. <laughs> yeah. Waco, Texas. Hello. Oh. Yeah. That no, no matter what happens in that little town, nothing will erase what everyone thinks about when you hear about that town, right? Nothing. Do you know Killeen? I do Texas, for some reason. K-I-L-L-E-E-N is area code 254. Do you Killeen. know Temple, Texas, area code 254? Where the university is? No. no that's that's different a different coast. Yeah. Run. Available on all podcast platforms. This is episode 254. Subscribe and rate us, please. I'm sorry for the F-bomb. Don't give me a bad rating because I threw an F-bomb at the, at the top of the show. Sometimes it works. I had You to. just have to. That fits. Honest to God. Were there not F-bombs being uttered around the Pacific Northwest and around the country of all Seahawks fans? Probably on the field and the stands. Yes, of course. What the hell? I don't know. All right. Available on all podcast platforms. I'm in a giving mood, or I was in a given mood when okay. I decided to do this. For listeners who are not patrons, I'm going to change the way you feel about your Sunday, about your weekend of Mariners three out of four losses in Tampa, about your Sunday with the Seahawks. I'm going to change it all. I'm going to change the vibe, and I'm going to offer anybody who's willing to put up with episode 254 who's not already a patron the first three months free. Wow. I'm offering the first three months free to all new patrons that hear this right now that write me Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. That's great. All you got to do is write me at some point this week after you listen to this. 
Maybe throw an F-bomb at me <laughs> on the email to prove yep. to me that you were listening. Although, just by knowing that this exists, the Coco Golf special. I'm a big Coco Golf. Yeah, fan. I know you are. I love Coco Golf. Yeah. She's the U.S. Open champ. She's a beast, isn't she? She is the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the bestest. Anyway, anybody who wants to become a patron as a result of listening to this episode 254, this fun-loving, exciting, <laughs> encouraging episode 254, just write me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will give you the first three months on, a, uh, on an annual subscription to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron because this coming week, we're up to five short shows Ooh. scheduled this week. It's great. So you get the Monday show, and then you get five shorter shows. We'll have Around the NFL with former NFL GM Randy Mueller. We'll have episode 254P with Danny O'Neill. That'll be about 20 to 30 minutes. We'll have the Mariners No Table. Jason Churchill and Joe Doyle will help us keep our sanity with the way the Mariners are sliding. We'll shoot the shit with Slick. We'll have the Seahawks No Table. Five shorter shows along with this episode 254 for patrons. And you can become a patron by writing me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and telling me you want the first three months free. A lot of content there for three months. I like it. It would be nice for it to be more uplifting. (laughs) I wish I could do more. How'd you do and beat the boys? Did you look? No, I don't look. I don't look. I, I know I've missed every game. Oh, did you? Yeah, I even had I even had the Chargers beating my beloved Dolphins. I had the Seahawks. That worked out well. Oh, and one. The Dolphins. One and two. I'm one a, and one. I'm a true fan. Yeah. And oh, by the way, <laughs> I was in two and three for 466 yards. By the way, how much? 466 wow. yards. Not too bad. Yeah. Considering- and Tyreek Hill is just he's just ridiculous. Totally, he's like no other NFL football player I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I don't want to get off on that because nobody really cares. But we've talked about him before. He looks like people he's... know this who watch in the NFL, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's playing at a different speed. Completely, yeah, he weird. is a video game. He is, a video and I don't game, know yeah. video games, but I played Madden a few <laughs> yeah. years ago. He is truly like when you hit the turbo. Do they still have turbo I buttons? Think so yeah, and the spin button and the whole thing. He yeah, is he, ridiculous. Yeah, he's a beast. I was in Monroe, Washington, at a Starbucks. Oh, you were. I saw this guy come in. I don't know why in a brand new spanking bright white Dan Marino jersey oh. of all the jerseys to see in Monroe on game day I saw a guy I wanted to take a picture of him but I didn't want to have you seen the, the face, new so. commercial the Lay's commercial with all the oldies that Marino's on I haven't seen it no. oh it's a good one is it yeah yeah they all decide they're gonna play again it's like Emmett Smith and he's sleeping on the bench <laughs> when they call him and it's Dan Marino who goes to look at his chart his play chart on yeah. his wrist and he has to put his glasses oh, on of course yeah it's very good that's amazing I think it's Lay's potato chip but it's nice to see Danny in a, sure. in a commercial. I also the, like the greatest the, uh, quarterback of all time. Yeah, it's hard to argue. As uh, Joe Montana pointed out. I also like the Heisman house. I think those are cute. Oh, yeah, they're they, very good. The, very the good. thought of them all just living together. Like, if you win the Heisman, you just live together in the same house. Is it weird when you see the current college guys doing stuff on TV like Michael Penix for Epic Seats? Oh, yeah, it is And weird. Caleb yeah. Williams on the Wendy's commercials? Yeah, sure. It's still a little strange it to is. me. I'm, I'm happy those guys are making money yeah. and getting money to do that, but it's still a little bit... I'm not used to that. I thought about it this past December when Piper took lessons from someone named Bailey Klingler. She was first-team All-American for oh, UW softball. Not any relation to... Well, it turns out I was having trouble sleeping, wondering they have to be related, right? Really? They both have strong arms. I mean, wasn't come there on. a guy on Mesh? <laughs> that would be Klinger. So then, <laughs> so then I had to look it up, of course. And yeah. David Klingler is her uncle. Turns really? out, really? Yeah. Anyway, we, she couldn't have taken cash from us, you know, two years, three years ago. But I, I, God love her. Now she can 
give lessons and make we're Beautiful. Venmoing Bailey Klingler money and good for her. I hope she makes All right, money. All right, so you it. got one right. Yeah, and then I have the Giants. I have the Giants tonight too. I haven't gotten one right yet. I guess the point is, and I don't know how the other boys did. For those of you that didn't enter the contest the first week, you're not that far behind. <laughs> you're not behind me at all. I still haven't gotten one right. Right. Yeah. So you could come in in week two or week three or week four and still beat the boys if you'd like. Here are the week two games. All right. Ravens at Bengals, how the Bengals look. Chiefs at Jaguars, how the Chiefs look. Seahawks at Lions, how the Seahawks look. Password, sorry, I have to do it, for week two. The F-bomb? Coco. Oh, gotcha. C-O-C-O, all lowercase. Okay. Not like... Because I am a huge Coco Golf fan. I love that girl. Don't try to type in, like, the powder. That's C-O-C-O-A, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah I wouldn't Be careful, everybody. No. Yeah. Coco, okay. C-O-C-O. Guests on this episode 254, the Seahawks no table. Henderson and Nemhauser will try to talk me off the ledge. New Heisel on college football. His first pick was good. He had Colorado minus two and a half against Nebraska. How do they look? They won by 22, so... New Heisel is off to a 1-0 start. And sports author John Eisenberg, who I knew many lifetimes ago okay. back in the D.C. Baltimore area, his 11th book is out this wow. week. It's called Rocket Man, The Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. Wow. It's really interesting. Yeah. From James Harris to Doug Williams to Warren Moon sure. to Randall Cunningham to the great Patrick Mahomes, you realize, I don't have to tell you this, that in the 1970s, which doesn't feel all that long ago, I know it was. Not to us, it doesn't, yeah. Black players were basically not allowed to play quarterback in the NFL. Right. They weren't. It's unbelievable, yeah. They're not good leaders. Oh, They're yeah. not smart enough. That's right. They can't comprehend the game. Yeah. That's like last Tuesday, right. 1970s That's to right. me. It's when, like that. When we were alive, yes. this shit was going on. Yes. I know. Crazy. They weren't allowed to... Oh, we, we, we got to change his position. Right. But he was an All-American. I don't care. He's got to play wide receiver. I mean, he's got to play tight end. God love Don James, right, for taking Warren Moon. And Warren said, I don't play DB. I don't play anything. I want to play quarterback. Well, wait till you hear, if you listen to the segment, wait till you hear author John Eisenberg, who penned the book, tell you who he believes. He's going to say to you, this wasn't a Jackie Robinson thing where there's one person to credit. Mm. For the change, for the yeah. metamorphosis. To break the barrier. There, yeah. like, to break the, there's like two or three people that made very crucial decisions. Wow. Wait till you hear. Two of them have huge Pacific Northwest connections. Okay, great. Yes. One of which you're not going to think of. Yeah. But then when he explains it, you're going to be like, oh. Wow. Oh. That's cool. Yeah. So Seahawks, No Table, New Heisel, and John Eisenberg, the author of the new book, Rocket Man. So Mitch Unfiltered, episode 254, begins in a moment. It's all presented by Zeke's Pizza. All the great things going on over there at Zeke's. The expansion, the revamped mobile app, which makes home delivery as simple as ever before. Download it and give it a try. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of Beat the Boys, Week two is coming. I just gave you the code. The password is COCO, C-O-C-O, all lowercase. Whether it's a new fireplace or garage doors, begin your search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Challenging times, no doubt, in the home financing world. But houses here in the Northwest are getting sold. The better and more creative professionals out there like Cross Country Mortgage and Jordan Flowers, they have the answers to your needs. 
Give him a call, Jordan, personally at 425-890-2957. Daniels Broiler, Lindsey Schwartz, and I are talking appetizers on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered. The bacon-wrapped scallops, the Dungeness crab legs. Yeah, the steaks are the best, but don't sleep on the apps. you got to love Daniels Broiler, the entire menu. A world-class steakhouse. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. This is episode 254, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. The wide receivers, Lockett and Metcalf are back. Yep. No reason to think they'll be any worse. And then you add this heralded rookie from Ohio State. The tight ends are the same. So what's the conclusion? The offense, I think, very easily should be the same, if not better, than it was a year ago. Unfiltered. The left-handed quarterback can throw the ball all <laughs> over the field. And he's got wide receivers, man, out the kazoo. Odunze's great. McMillan's great. Polk's great. I like Bernard. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 254, Hotshot. The uplifting episode 254 is officially... Tank for Caleb. At what point do we start kind of rooting for that? Like week seven? Tank for panics. (laughs) Yeah, right. Whatever. No, no, no. What at what week uh, can we just throw in the towel? Can we not talk about this after one game, I please? Know, I know. I told you my favorite opening day sign in baseball ever was that Cubs fan on day one. They had the sign wait till next year <laughs> during game one. I think it was David Letterman who came out in the monologue <laughs> and said, Well, the baseball season's underway and the Cleveland Indians have been mathematically eliminated. <laughs> That's right. Something like that. <laughs> That's how it feels after that game. Like, what's gonna change for them? It would have been impossible if you had said to me, as negative a Nelly as I am, and you know I'm a pretty half-empty guy when it comes to sports. I'm always expecting the worst. I sit down. I bring the bar down. I always expect the worst. And if you had said to me, let's say, Saturday night, if you had texted me and said, Mitch, I want you to write down the worst possible scenario, the worst possible performance in specifics that you could even come up with for the Seahawks against the Rams, I would not have been even close. That's how bad that was. It would have been like, they would have lost like 13-7 or 13-3 or something, and it just would have looked awful. But yeah, I don't know what we were looking at. (laughs) It was unbelievable. I just Down the line, like, right? Like, just down the quarterback, a running game, just down the line. just Terrible. Paying a safety for the defense awful, the offense awful, the defensive line, even though they stopped the run a little bit awful, the offensive line, two injuries, the two tackles are hurt, awful, couldn't protect the quarterback. Mess. DK Metcalf not getting separation and getting 15 yard penalties again for. For his behavior, uh, you know, when's I mean, that gonna end? kickers missing field goals, yeah, well, coaches not taking timeouts. I mean, where I can't literally find one. <laughs> you might say to me, I know what people are going to say, Mitch, but they stopped the run. I don't really want to hear it. I don't want to hear about them stopping the run. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Okay, if you can't get off the field, if you can't stop this team, if you can only force one punt in nine possessions on a bad football team that's at your place on opening day, I don't want to hear about right. stopping the run. That's right. Please. 
Right. When, when, when they're converting five third downs on the first drive, I don't want to hear about stopping the run because they're just... That first drive, they went 75 yards on 16 plays, and there were like three penalties that pushed them back. They really went about 125 <laughs> yards on that. <laughs> That's true. That they went around the track a couple times. Oh I want to know God. how many 16-play scoring drives there will be in the NFL this year. 16-plus <sighs> play scoring drives. Someone's got to figure that out for us at some point. It's crazy. But. Yes. We've got the Huskies and the Cougars. That's true. That was fun. We've got the Huskies and the Cougars. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? I probably should start with the Huskies, but I'm not going to. Because the Cougars are sitting there still unranked by one of the major polls. Still? That's crazy. Talk about criminal. I thought they would have flipped with with Wisconsin. They would have just gone to 19 and... Anybody That's, who has watched Washington State play the first two weeks at Colorado State and then home against Wisconsin, yeah. that doesn't put them in the top 25. If you watched, you deserve to have your vote immediately revoked. You should <laughs> never be able to. Washington State is a really good football team. Obviously, the University of Washington is really good. We don't quite know yet how good Washington is. We don't really know quite yet how good Washington State is. Yeah. Here's what I do know. Both of these Two college football teams are damn good. Yeah. It felt sort of like Wazoo was going to blow it when they cut it to two, didn't it? You're like, oh boy. these. This I was poor, worried a little bit. This freshman class at Wazoo is going to get indoctrinated early as to what it's like. Midway to through the Cougar second quarter, hot shot, I thought they were going to blow them out. Yeah. I thought I, they right. were going to beat them by four touchdowns. So fun, yeah. I was happy for them. Washington State is really good. University of Washington is really good. Yep. And Michigan State now is in the way with a suspended head coach. Oh, yeah. He did not have a good weekend. No. He not. didn't. Mel Tucker did not have. <sighs> it looks like he blew $80 million with his behavior. Looks like it. Ugh. Once he gets fired with cause, they'll not have to pay him another dime of the $80 million they owe him. Because he breached he was the like, contract. Yeah, he was like the highest paid college football coach in America. Oh, God. And Michigan State, I'm not sure, is very good to begin with. They, they've won a couple games against nobodies. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, see, the Huskies kicked their ass last year. They didn't the Huskies very good. should walk in there and blow them off their home field. Good. And then you've got Washington State who's going to beat like Northern Colorado or some uh, off team. And they're both are going to be 3-0. and You've got one team that's eight in both polls. You've got another team that's 23rd in one and not ranked in the other, which is crazy. Yeah. And that's the coaches poll, by the way. Yeah, the coaches poll. It's so, do you know how, do you know how many are, hours you spend coaching when, during the season? Like, I, I remember the, the Skyline coaches have this thing called goodbye to your wife party when the season starts. And they, like, they buy them <laughs> gifts. They take them out to dinner. Goodbye to your wife. That's what they call it because the uh, next four dear. months, forget it. And that's high school. Imagine how much time college coaches. Why is there a coaches poll? No one knows less about what the hell's going on in the world of college football less than the fucking coaches. They're watching their own team. Yeah, I think they're so probably stupid. a little busy while Washington that, State's that's, playing. That's what I'm saying. They're so It's the dumbest poll ever. And are they up at 1 o'clock in the morning yeah. watching or midnight Eastern they're, time? They're up. They're watching film of the loss they just had. Yeah. Right. Makes no sense. It's dumb. Yeah. The good thing is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right. It's just a little bit of uh, disrespect. Yeah. I would I say. I would say so. Yeah. Good for them. With the way they've been shit on the last six months yeah. and they're future up in the air and nobody wants them yeah and they go out and they've got a really good football team with a great college quarterback i say good for them if anybody has a problem with them celebrating at midfield because they beat wisconsin that's that's your own fault that's i was gonna say problem. the exact same thing that's your let them problem. enjoy it let them have fun totally you beat a ranked totally. team at home totally who gives a shit I'm as so for them. your seattle mariners yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. God. at least we got the mayor well yeah Tampa Bay is a good team, right? Very good team. Yeah. So 
let me see if I have this straight. The Mariners can't win when they get the early lead. They can't win when they get the lead in the middle of the game. Okay. They can't win when they give up the early lead. They can't win when they keep their starter out there for a little longer than they wanted to keep him out there. They can't win when the bullpen comes out. The Mariners are now officially scuffling and in reverse at the exact wrong time of the baseball season. However, if the season ended today, Hot Shots, yes. which it doesn't and it's moderately stupid to talk about, your Seattle Mariners would be wild card number three okay. by a half game over the Rangers. They'd be literally essentially tied with the Rangers because they're tied in the loss column. They're gotcha. only a half game of the Rangers ahead of the Rangers because they've won one more. They've yeah. played one more played one and more, they've yeah. won one more. They are at this point one half game away from being out of the playoffs altogether. But we sort of knew you talked about it. it's going to come down to that last those last 10 games at home, right? Correct. I mean, yeah, it's forget Correct. everything. It, it's going to come down to that. It just Correct. is everybody. Yeah. There are 19 games to go. Okay. They will play, of those 19 games, 13 at home. All right. They're going to play the Angels for three. They're out of it. They're going to play a tough Dodgers team for three. What's so funny? You went through this routine a while ago about this. Oh, they're, they're playing uh, Kansas City. No, no, no. 45 games. No, no, no. They're going to roll through. They're playing the Angels. Yeah. They're playing the Dodgers. They're playing the Astros. And they're playing the Rangers. Yeah. Three, 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 and four. That's 13. The six road games, the Oakland A's for three there. And the Texas Rangers for three in Arlington, Texas, or wherever they play now. Right. So that's the way it shapes up. 19 games to go, 13 at home, <sighs> six on the road. If the season ended today, they'd be wild card number three. Mm-hmm. They're two games in the loss column behind Houston in the American League West. They're fighting with three or four teams for a wild card position. Now, the one thing that I will tell you, and I know I go through this every year, I will tell you that it looks like wild card three okay. is better than wild card two. Why are you giving me I, that? Okay, okay go Do ahead. I'm going to try to explain it to uh, you? I, I'm listening, yes. It's pretty rare that the third movie is better than the second, but so this is hard for me to Wild comprehend. card three in this case, I believe, is better than wild card two because the third wild card, the last team to make the playoffs in the American League, will play the third worst or the third best division winner. Okay. Which would be Minnesota. Okay. The second wild card plays the first wild card. Oh, And that's Tampa. Oh, yeah. You don't want that. Yeah. And remember, you're going there for three games. All three games are on the road in the first round, like the Toronto series of a year ago. So if the Mariners don't win the American League West, we want them to win the American League West, and they're still only two games behind Houston. And the American League West with 19 to play, and they've got games with Houston left. So if they should be able to get hot, they could still win the West. We all want them to win the West. Right. But if you're not going to win the West... And you're certainly not going to be wild card one because that's reserved for Tampa or the Tampa Baltimore loser. That's right, yeah. So you're going to be either wild card two at Tampa for a best of three or wild card three at Minnesota for a best of three. I think you're better off going to Minnesota for a best of three. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. Some people in our audience might disagree with that. But that's why I think wild card three is probably even better than wild card two. Well, I think after the weekend, people don't want any part of Tampa Bay. So I think people would tend to agree with you. <sighs> well... 
Do we need to talk about George Kirby? Have you? I'm sorry if you already talked about no, that. No, we need to talk about George Kirby. We do. Okay. We need to talk about George Kirby. I know you do 800 shows. And we need week, to talk so. about Scott Service, which is part of this. Oh, you didn't say Scott Soden. I was like, holy shit, what We need I do? to talk about Scott Soden, too. <laughs> okay. Because when Scott Service leaves his starter in a little longer than usual, yeah. he's wrong, and they lose. When Scott Service takes his starter out and puts his bullpen in to finish the job... He's wrong, and he loses. Yeah. Scott Service, somewhere in a private moment, is throwing his hands up going, I, what, 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 right. I don't know what to do. Yep. And then there's the George Kirby unfortunate incident, which left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths around the country. Yep. Around the country. I was reading a lot of big-time pitchers that, oh, were, boy. that couldn't believe he said what he said. Now, to George Kirby's credit, he took it back. Yeah. He said, I didn't mean it. He owned it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. That's not <laughs> yeah, me. I that's, didn't mean it. Yeah. Mark Mulder. Ever heard of him? Yeah. Can't imagine ever having that thought at any point on the mound or during a game, much less repeating it to reporters. Crazy that someone could be so mentally weak who plays a sport at a high level. Yeah. Jared Weaver. Ever heard of him? Yes. This is why I'll never be any kind of a coach in the big leagues, to be honest. I shouldn't have been out there, he says. I threw 90 pitches. What the fuck? <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassing, Jeez. truly embarrassing. Roger yeah. Clemens says, uh, this is tough to hear, would not fly in the old days. Unfortunately, this is how players are being taught with modern analytics. And the list goes on and on. I'm I sure. pulled those three. You hear like Satchel Page yeah. through a doubleheader, a no-hitter in both games, through 18 innings in one day. And this guy's pitching about 90 pitches. Yeah. I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, George Kirby says. To be honest, I was at 90 pitches. I didn't think I needed to go anymore, but it is what it is. And then he took it back. He took it back. I don't know exactly what he was taking back. Was he taking back that he didn't feel that way or that he shouldn't have said it? I don't know exactly what he was taking back, but it was not not a good look for George Kirby. Not a good couple of 24 hours for, for George Kirby. It felt like Mariner fans were insanely hard on him, and then they – they sort of went, okay, let's just move on from it. After Were they insane? See, I didn't watch. Oh, he was getting crushed. By Mariners fans. Yeah, on Twitter. He's, yeah. he's a favorite. Well, of course. Yeah, he's, he's one good. of their. Well, he's one of their favorites. There are other guys that are good that aren't their favorites. Okay. George Kirby's always been a fan favorite. He got, people like, love him. People were like, blasted w, him. WTF. Like, who would say that? What athlete ever? Whether you play high school. Who wants to? Who would say they don't want to be in there? Like, doesn't everyone just want to play as much as possible? So what was he taking back? He didn't want people to think that he's not competitive, that he didn't want to be in there. So maybe he was just saying, I, did, I knew I didn't have my best stuff, and it probably was best for me to come out. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. I don't know. Do you believe him now, or do you believe him then? Which George Kirby do you believe? Do you believe that he wanted to come out after six, or that he didn't want to come out after six? Which one? I think he, says, he says, Skip knows he's always got to pry the ball out of my hands. I don't want people to think that I'm not a competitor that I don't want to be out there. Cause it kind of sounded like that, that, Oh, I don't want to play anymore. I wish I wasn't out there. Right. That's kind of how I think he's, he's so, letting you know that he is a competitor and that he wanted to be out there for the seventh inning. Typically he wants to be out there for seventh innings. I don't, did he want to be out there that night for the seventh inning or not? What does he say? I think had he not, I, I think had he had more success, we never would have heard any, obviously no, wouldn't have said not. that. Of course. of course not. Yeah. Of course not. feels a, a little excusey to me. I, I think that's that generation. I hate to paint them all with the same brush. That Does this generation. blow over, do you think? Yeah, I, that's what I was trying to say. Mariner fans killed him, but I think they're ready to just let's move on and let's we're in a playoff 
you know, pennant People are going to be bringing this up in a year or two from now or will be long forgotten? I think it's going to go away. I mean, it'll probably depend on how he does the rest of the year, unfortunately for him, but I think it'll go away. How important is his next start? Oh, forget it. Like, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> he's, his arm will be oh, so geez. sore he's going to throw it with his left hand, but he's not coming out for oh. nine innings. I'm playing the whole goddamn game. Three interviews and then the other stuff segment on episode 254. Hey, look who it is. Lindsey Schwartz, Daniels Broiler, my favorite steakhouse during the summer and any time of year. How are you, Lindsey? How's everything at Daniels Broiler? Hey, Mitch, doing great. Yeah, it's summertime. We've been so fortunate to have such beautiful weather, have a beautiful summer, July, August. That means we get to open all the decks and patios. Busy, busy, busy. So let's keep up this great weather. What I can tell you is that when my buddy, old friend Mark Kalkavecchia comes to town the golfer for the Boeing Classic. He's not even in SeaTac Air. I think he's still on the plane when he texts me, hey, can you help me out with Daniel's Broiler? Can you help me out with Daniel's Broiler? It's a favorite of the golfers that come for the Boeing Classic, isn't it? It really is. A few years ago when Jerry Kelly won, he came into Daniel's to celebrate afterwards, and I was nice. there and saw him and talked to him a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I think the word is out. That's the place to go if you win the tournament. Too bad I didn't teach you a little about the game of golf while he was there. Did you meet him? Did he? No tips? Oh, God. That Yeah, <laughs> I, that would be a full-time job. He already has a job. I don't, I don't think he has time for that. Uh, all right, last time you were on, you talked desserts. I want to focus on appetizers this time around. It's a little controversial in the way that I never want to eat too much before the steak arrives, but you have such good appetizers. I'm torn on that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, we we try to keep them light, so we make that decision easy for you. We don't want to fill you up on the appetizers, but we just try to make them delicious, and I think we've done that. I know that. I know you've talked about the scallops, how you love that one. I love the scallops. Yeah, the bacon-wrapped scallops. Yes. They're so good. I think it's something unique that we do. We, We pick the big jumbo scallops. We wrap them in bacon. We put them on the broiler. It's just a really unique flavor. You get the Sambuca butter sauce, serve it on top of crostini. You got good taste. Those are really, really good. How about some of the other appetizers? I know from experience the popcorn shrimp has gone from a a Levy boy's favorite as their main course to now they just get a couple of orders before their steaks as they eat me out of house and home. What about some of the other appetizers? Yeah, I mean, the popcorn shrimp are awesome. I think really what makes them is the sauce. It comes with two sauces, the sriracha aioli, which is spicy and delicious, and the lemon aioli is really, really good. And yeah, I've told you before, my kids love that too. Even even now they're grown up, they still got to have it. And your favorite is the crab leg? Yeah, I like the crab legs. I mean, the cool thing about it is if you love crab like I do, but you don't like to have to work for it and crack the crab and wear a bib, they're already shelled. We we take the, the crab legs out of the shell, the big fry leg, which which is the biggest leg on a crab. Right. And uh, we serve that in a Dijon mustard sauce. Yeah, that's been my favorite. I love that so one. So I guess the uh, the moral to the story is, even if you're not in the mood for a big giant steak, you can go to Daniel's, have a drink, and feast on the appetizers and enjoy some of the great views of the Pacific Northwest. We love Daniel's Broiler. World-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Fourth and goal at the one. Atwell in motion. The pitch. Eagles in. Touchdown. And a 
to 13 win for the Rams as they surprise Seattle. It's a big challenge for us to, to, to bounce back and look at what we're going against. You know, we're going to go against one of the hottest teams in the world right now uh, coming up in Detroit, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, now it's about us digging back into it because we, we've done a ton of the right stuff all the way throughout. I've been telling you that, how the, the preparation has gone. But it, when it matched up and it came time, uh, we weren't able to get off the field like we, like we thought we, we would be able to. Boy, I thought this week's Seahawks no table would be a blast with new member Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser. It's presented by Taco Time Northwest, especially because my new friend Brian had me convinced that the Niners had a shaky off season and the Seahawks had bridged the gap, Brian. I'm putting you right on the hook. After what I watched on Sunday, convince me that that's still true, please. I don't know if I can speak, Mitch. I've been drowning myself in Taco Time tacos for the last few hours. Oh, my gosh. What a miserable opening weekend for the Seattle Seahawks. It was rough. It was rough to be there. It was rough to watch. Can you put it into words, Brian? I think it was bad enough that even the most optimistic Seahawks fans should be questioning the direction of this team. Really? After one game? After one game, after the way that this defense played, once again, how many times can this defense be among the worst in the league before you start saying, it's the person at the top, it's time. Maybe you need fresh eyes. Maybe you need a fresh perspective. I've been a voice of, hey, he's done a lot, but I think you have to question Pete Carroll after something like this. And then on the offense, it's supposed to be one of the best offenses in the league, Geno Smith just had his worst game as a starter for the Seahawks. None of the stars starred. So I don't know that there's a lot here, not to mention the fact that you've got some serious injury questions. I think you've got a Rams team that's probably one of the easiest games on that schedule, no matter how good you have to feel. No matter how you feel about the Rams, it's still probably one of the easiest games on your schedule and you just got blown out at home. So Mm. this was pretty close to a catastrophic start to the season. Brady, is it possible that it was an aberration? One week, first week of the season, a lot of guys don't play during the preseason. We'll talk about that, whether that's the right approach. Is it possible that we're going to turn on the television, watch the Seahawks play in Detroit next week and say, ah, that was just a a weird one-off? I mean, it's hard to imagine them after watching this game and just the total offense and defense failure that it was. I mean, can anybody picture them going to Detroit next week and beating a Lions team that's riding high and also well-rested coming off a Thursday night win over the Chiefs? I mean, that looked like a tough game to begin with, but especially after seeing just how bad the Seahawks looked on both sides of the ball in this game. And I was racking my brain trying to figure out the last time they suffered a worse loss than this. Now, Points-wise, it was their biggest margin of defeat since the Rams beat them late in the 2017 season. But, you know, that was still a a good Rams team. I mean, what I'm talking about is, like, losing this badly and looking this inept on both sides of the ball against a team that you really expected them to beat. I mean, they were five-point favorites for a reason. Uh, I know the Rams are, are two years removed uh, from that Super Bowl, but I mean, you got to realize how big, how different of a team this is. There was only I counted it up with the help of some people on the Rams beat. There's only eight players uh, with Cooper Cup not playing. The Rams on Sunday only had eight players who were either starters or regular contributors uh, on that Super Bowl team. Now it's possible that maybe the Rams are a little better than we thought they were. It certainly looked like it, but mm-hmm. I just can't imagine a worse 
uh, opening day for the Seahawks than this one. Now, interestingly, you know, a couple players, Geno Smith and DK Metcalf, both pointed to uh, effort being an issue. They said the Rams played harder than them. And as, you know, troubling as that sounds for effort to be an issue for an NFL team in week one of the season, that's as good of an explanation as I can come up with for why they lost such mm. an inexplicable game like this. You want to update us on injuries to the best of your ability? The two tackles went out. I don't know that anybody can imagine them turning it around after what they saw on Sunday. Certainly throw in the tackle injuries and you may want to throw your hands up. Yeah, no real word on on the severity of either of them. Pete Carroll said that Charles Cross uh, has a sprained big toe. Uh, you saw him leave the field, I think, late in the third quarter with his right shoe off. He's, Carroll said that from what he heard, uh, x-rays didn't look bad, but obviously it was bad enough to keep Cross out for the rest of the game. And then with Lucas, uh, it sounds like that was a re-aggravation of the right knee injury that he had uh, during training camp. They sort of rested him for a little bit. His knee was sore, and it got sore again in this game. And I think yeah. uh, that was for really all of the second half. I didn't see him at all in the second half. Brian, a Hawk blogger, Brian Nemhauser. Every year, it seems like more and more guys don't play in the preseason. It used mm -hmm. to be quarterbacks don't play much. Then it became running backs don't play much. Now they've got three games and you see teams like the Seahawks and everybody else playing hardly anybody. I mean, there are a list of guys because of injury and just decision that didn't play in the preseason. And then you get this. Any way to connect the two? I think there is because the Rams are famous for playing nobody in the preseason and they got this too. They just got the other side of this. So I don't know if you can really point to whether people are playing in the preseason, Mitch. Puka Nakua had more receptions than DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and JSN combined. That is unacceptable no matter how many snaps. And you better believe those guys, and Brady can tell us, they're getting the bulk of the snaps in training camp during practice, and they were feeling pretty dang good about themselves. So I don't think you can blame that. I have other issues with the lack of tackling and all the things that are affecting line play in the NFL, but everybody's playing with the same rules. So to me, this still comes back to the coaches didn't have him ready, and the players, I think Gino and DK are a little bit onto something. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the first few drives to the Seahawks were their most productive, but they were very slow and methodical. It was almost like they were just really being careful. There was no aggression, and it seemed to just stay with them for a lot of the game. There was no emphasis. There was no repetition or like tempo to their game today. And I don't know. It just felt like they were sleepwalking. Defensively, I thought they were lousy from the beginning to the end. I know people will point to the rushing yards, and they had such trouble last year. And, oh, the Rams only ran for 90 yards on 40 carries or whatever it was. But I thought from beginning to end, they were an embarrassment defensively. On offense, they did some decent things, though, as Brian points out, maybe a little tentative. They did some decent things on offense in the first half. They moved the ball. They made some plays on the ground. They made some plays through the air. They had a trick play that uh, could have been a touchdown. Bobo is wide open, and Smith doesn't see him down the center of the field. Is there any explanation or was anything offered in terms of an explanation of what happened to that offense from the first half to the second half? Not really. No. I mean, and, you know, they did lose their starting tackles. Um, but I mean, their offense was struggling even before Way Charles before. Cross went down. Yeah. Right. Remember, they scored, 
Yeah, scored on their first three possessions, and then the defense, or really the special teams, gifted them a really nice scoring opportunity when Jaron Reed blocked that field goal, and they couldn't do anything with it, and it was just downhill from there. There was really nothing doing. I, I don't know what was more uh, inexplicable, what happened to their offense or in the second half, or what happened to their defense and their pass rush the entire game. I mean, they, Matt Stafford dropped back 39 times. They had two quarterback hits on him, zero sacks. Um, the ball might have been coming out quickly a, a few times, but I, that's just that wasn't what you expect. I mean, the, the question mark for this defense going into the season was the run defense, and you figured that they would be pretty solid against the pass, uh, especially with their pass rush and their coverage, but both of those things were really lacking in this game, and it's it's hard to figure out why. Well, at least, Brady, at least they didn't spend a record amount on an interior defensive pass rusher in free agency, and they, they certainly didn't pass on a dominant interior pass rusher with their first overall pick this year, and they didn't spend the last two second-round picks on edge rushers, right? Actually, Brady, they did all of those things. Well, Brady, um, Traymond Jones, we've talked about him a lot during the preseason. They spent a lot of money, especially for them and for anybody else, on him during free agency. What kind of impact did he have in game number one, number 55? I mean, I don't think anybody on that defense had an impact. I, I didn't uh, – I mean, I'm looking up the stats right now because I don't remember him making – any sort of big play. I mean, no, they literally had two quarterback hits and four tackles for loss, and neither of them came from Draymond Jones. I think the, the official stat sheet has him with two tackles and, and nothing else, but, you know, really nobody. I, I think Nwosu played okay, but really, and Boyamafe had like one nice tackle for loss, but I mean, you hard pressed to find anybody who really did anything special on that defense. Bobby Wagner had 19 tackles, which is uh, a huge day, but aside from that, I mean, there was really nothing to write home about defensively. 19 tackles from Bobby Wagner is obviously a good total. Is he still a really good football player? I think he's better. Yeah, he's better than what they had last year, and both in terms of just playmaking ability and understanding. And the question mark with him is, you remember going back to a few seasons ago, he was still racking up a lot of tackles, but you just didn't have the impact plays that he was making continuously when he was, you know, every year a candidate for defensive player of the year. He made a lot of those last season, so I, I still think he's got plenty left in the tank. You want to see you know, the big plays, the game-changing plays to go along with all the tackles. He had one nice tackle for loss in this game. I think the jury is, is sort of still out on that, but he's definitely going to be better than what they had last year. And I think 19 tackles and a tackle for loss in the opener suggest that he could still be pretty good. You guys are both at the game on Sunday. Brian, how would you characterize the crowd, the Seahawks' 12th man, how patient do you believe the 12th man will be with this kind of a start if they go out to Detroit and start 0-2? I will say that it was an early arriving crowd. I've been I've been to every Seahawks game pretty much since 97 when I moved here. They'd started getting a little late arriving over the last few years. And they were all there when the kickoff was going on. It was uh, crowd was into it when Bobby Wagner got introduced. As far as I'm concerned, that was the highlight of the whole game. Uh, it was a great moment by the fourth quarter. I mean, they stayed with them until the fourth quarter. And then the last time, the three and out after the, the Rams had gone up with their, their last touchdown that they scored, booze came out. And I think it was well-deserved. And so I don't think that this fan base will leave the Seahawks for sure, but I don't think that they're going to be too patient with a team that if they put on another performance like this, 
you know, there's another team in town that's, you know, shooting for the playoffs and the yeah. Mariners and they got a lot of attention. So I, I, I don't think they're going to be super patient. To be Brady, Brady, how would you characterize Pete Carroll after the game? Was he shocked? Was he in disbelief? Was he hyper rosy in terms of his outlook? Describe him. He was definitely surprised, and I think he he used that word as well. Uh, he's never going to get too down. I mean, you know that. He just tends to look at things positively. So he was kind of what you expected him to be. It was pretty matter-of-fact about uh, some of the issues they had you know, against the pass. And he even pointed the finger at himself, saying that he sort of miscalculated in the game plan, he thought that they'd be able to get more pressure without blitzing than they did. They didn't get, uh, they didn't blitz a whole lot, and they didn't get any pressure. And so he basically said that he he regrets not blitzing more than they did. You wonder, okay, well, you, that was going on in the first half too. So why couldn't you just adjust in the second half? But he did take the blame for some of that. But it was really just everything that could have gone wrong, defensively and offensively, went wrong. Any change coming? Do you think, Brady? Well, I, it'll be interesting to see what kind of personnel they use next week because, I mean, they basically lived in nickel for the entirety of this game. I'm curious to see what Kobe Bryant's snap counts look like because it seemed like he was on the field for the majority of the game. And they sort of had this interesting formation where it wasn't like a true 3-4. They had basically Jaron Reed and Draymond Jones as the two defensive linemen uh, and then, you know, the two outside linebackers, Wagner and Brooks at inside linebacker and then the nickelback. And then when they went to dime, which they actually did quite a bit of, Artie Burns came in for Brooks. So I, I don't know if that was specific to this matchup. Uh, I know the Rams are a heavy, you know, three receiver offense. And so maybe it was just a matchup thing. But you would think that a team with nickel personnel would be a lot better at stopping the pass. And you would think that they maybe struggle against the run. Uh, it was sort of the opposite of that in this game. Devin Witherspoon on the way? I think so. Yeah, it was not a surprise at all to me that they rested him in this game, especially once they elevated Artie Burns off the practice squad. That was the clue that uh, he was going to be the 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 sort of backup nickelback. It does seem like it's based on the fact that he's been practicing now for a couple weeks, I think this or for a week. So he will have two solid weeks under his belt going into that Sunday game against Detroit. That tells me that he's probably going to play. The question is, where is he going to play? I mean, it seems like nickelback is more likely, but I don't know. I mean, Trey Brown and Mike Trey Brown didn't have a great game. He had the uh, early missed tackle on the Rams' first touchdown drive, then the really costly penalty later in the game, the illegal use of the hands that negated a third down stop, also in the red zone. So he started, Mike Jackson played, that competition seems very much still on, especially now that the fifth overall pick is coming back, assuming they still want him to play left cornerback as opposed to nickelback. I'm glad you went there, Brady, because that's where my mind went. There is no doubt Witherspoon is on track to play next week. He did the limited practice all week this week. That means he's going to be full go next week and he should be play. Trey Brown opened the door wide for Devin Witherspoon to be the starting opposite edge corner. And then even if they go to nickel to slide inside. So I think that's one of the stories of this game. Trey Brown, he had one of the worst games of anyone out there. They, they, he wasn't just giving up short yardage. He gave up some massive yardage plays in this game. And really, guys, 11 for 17 on third down for the Rams. 11 for 17. Yeah, but they, 11 of 17 doesn't even tell the story. Three or four of those were late in the game, and they weren't even trying to get first downs. At one mm. point, I think they were 11 of 13 or something uh -huh. like that. 10 of 12. I mean, they did anything they wanted to do. It didn't matter down a distance. It didn't matter whether it's third and seven, third and 12, third and 15. Come on, on the first drive, the Harbinger was on the first drive when they got the penalties. And I think they went back, and it was like, 
first and 25 or first and 20 or first and 30, and they methodically got that first down and punched the ball into the end zone. It didn't matter down in distance. This defense was embarrassing. So the question becomes, you know, a lot of us thought 10 and 7, 9 and 8, 10 and 7, 11 and 6, going to challenge San Francisco. Do we have to just wipe out everything that we thought about this team? Or again, Brian, a similar question the way I started with Brady. Do you say, all right, even though it was a lousy football opponent and it was at home game, it's still the first game. Maybe they're still in modified preseason mode. Let's not overreact to this. They can still accomplish everything everybody thought that they could or not. Is it over? I do not think it's over. I think that that's, that's definitely too much of a, an emotional reaction to a first, first game here. I think they still have talent, and I think they still can have a wake-up call here. I do think Jamal Adams and Devin Witherspoon, uh, more time together, leadership, cohesion can help here. I think JSN, even though he was back, I don't think he is at full strength yet. So I think there's reasons to be positive there. And I also think the NFC is still not that great of a conference. So I don't think you have to be the best. But, yeah, I think that it's realistic to say you know, eight and nine, maybe more realistic than 11 and six at this point. So it's going to take some time and it's going to take winning some games that you shouldn't have won because they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost. It feels like Brady that maybe the turnaround can happen, but, and I know I said this at the beginning, a lot is going to rest on the health of those two tackles. Really, how far is this team going if those two guys are lost for the season or for an extended period of time and they got to play backup right tackles and left tackles starting in Detroit in week two? There's no chance at that point. No, but I mean, I think the the good news there is that it, I didn't get the impression that that was likely that either okay. one of those is going to okay. be a season ending thing. All right. um, I, I just think as far as like long term thinking for this team, yeah, you, you can never say that it's over after week one. But the troubling thing for them is that, you know, you just don't have a whole lot of like, quote unquote, gimme wins on the schedule. I mean, week three first Carolina at home. You know, the two games against the uh, the Cardinals are probably the only thing. I mean, you would have said both games against the Rams, but you obviously can't say that now. You can't take that you know, week oh, uh, 12 game or whatever, week 10 game or week 11. I'm sorry, whatever it is. And by the way, I mean, remember, we were talking about how much they've supposedly uh, closed the gap against the 49ers. Seattle suffers the worst home loss in recent memory. Meanwhile, the 49ers go on the road in Pittsburgh and wax the Steelers 30 to 7. And Brock mm-hmm. Purdy looks pretty good. He so looks great. How'd Jalen Carter look? I didn't quite catch that, Brian. He didn't play. You know exactly how he he, looked. Did he play at all on Sunday for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, I did not get to watch, but what I heard is that uh, I heard he had seven pressures and that he ended the game with the sack. That's what I heard. All right, you know, Taco Time Northwest promotes this thing and sponsors this thing and makes this thing possible. We've got the two guys. They're going to be easier days to come up with a Taco Time Northwest who was doing some work. I suppose we've just got to tip our caps to the Rams or we can go off the board to a different game or college football or something. But I need from both of you, we'll start with you, Brady. Identify somebody who was doing some work either in this game or at some point along the way. Uh, boy, how much time do we got for me to, I mean, uh, okay, I'll, I'll go with the obvious one. I mean, we already mentioned him, but Bobby Wagner playing in his first game back, 19 tackles, 
looks like nine of them were solo plus the tackle for loss. I'm telling you, you know, before the game, he got the loudest ovation I can remember since Marshawn Lynch came back late in the 2019 season. So I, I don't know if you could even call that like a silver lining because it, it, <laughs> I don't really know what it means. But right. Bobby Wagner, uh, if nothing else, was doing some work in this game. Brian, you get to go second and I'll take the scraps that you guys leave for me. I've got a guy, but I got a feeling you're just going to take him right off the table, just like Brady took your guy. I know. I was definitely going to go with Bobby Wagner. Yeah, but I, but um, I know what you're going to do. You're going to take mine as a result, as a no, consolation. No, I, I doubt it. I yeah, doubt it. Yeah. I, I'm going to go off the board here with okay. uh, our old 49er friend, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, uh, oh. For Las Vegas. Oh. Uh, taking the opening game. In Denver, the Sean Payton Denver Broncos go down 17 to 16. Jimmy G, 20 to 26, 200 yards, two touchdowns, and 107.9 okay. pass right. rating. By the way, Sean Payton calls the onside kick to start the football season. On the opening kickoff of the football season, his first kickoff as the head coach of the Denver Broncos, onside kick. Yeah, Remember, that's, that's the, what he did to the open the second half of yeah, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. That's what he did in the Super yep. Bowl. That's exactly right. And I'll just say, and I don't know, you'll tell me that Jordan Brooks had a bad game. The fact that he's even out there is impressive to me, running around. I saw him make a couple plays in the passing game. He was down the field with, with wide receivers. It's not that long ago that he blew out his knee. So I know it's slim pickings to find people. Just the fact that Jordan – and I think he had double-digit tackles – if that well, doesn't if that did. does anything for you, I, I find the fact that Jordan Brooks is out there playing in so little time after recuperating from the knee injury, I find that a little bit inspiring and courageous. So I'll make Jordan Brooks my Taco Time Northwest player of the game. He was doing some work when he probably most guys would have been on IR probably to start the season, and that's that. That's the Seahawks. I got, I got that's the best I can do, ladies and gentlemen. I got Brian. I got Brady, but I'm looking at their faces and they're I don't know if they're disgusted or tired or just, you know, we all watched it. It was one of the clunkers that I can remember. I've been here now 20, 30 years, almost 19, almost 30 years. And I can remember some really disappointing losses. But this one, man, and it's most recent, so it's fresh in my memory. But this one ranks up there as one of the more shocking meltdowns by a Seahawks team that I can remember, especially at home, considering the opponent. We thank Brian Nemhauser for joining us. Follow him all week. Hawk blogger. You'll see him with content on YouTube and on Twitter. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me, Mitch. And then there's Brady Henderson, ESPN.com Seahawks insider, who will have all the fallout of this all weekend on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And then the three of us will get back together uh, this week to try to figure out whether they can turn it around against the Detroit Lions. Thank you, Brady. You got it. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's time for a little visit from Zeke's president, Dan Black. How's your summer been, Dan? I feel like you're somewhere different every time I reach out to you. It seems that way probably because I am a lot. The Black <laughs> family's fortunate to have a bunch of great family spots for the summer. And I have been in Seattle a lot, partly for work, but also my favorite thing this summer is that my neighborhood Little League is making uh, a run to the Little League World Series. Ah, uh, Northeast Seattle Little League and Shoey, huh? Yeah, no, I heard you had Shoey on, but you know that he's just riding off the coattails of all of his past. <laughs> great nestle coaches so what they're doing is amazing and sports can be such a great source of community pride and here's a pizza guy that's going to plug another pizza place we've all been down at varlamos watching the games and you know the whole neighborhood's there and 
everybody's so proud and stuff. But yeah, what an awesome thing. Listen, in your absence, I've talked a lot about the new Zeke's Pizza app, which makes delivery so easy from Zeke's. What's been the response, Dan? Um, the response has been good. All technology has its things and stuff, but when you just look at ratings and adoption, the new app has been a huge improvement over the old app. You know, the other thing that's been improved is just ordering straight online at Zeke'sPizza.com. So between yeah. the app and our online website, digital ordering's never been easier at Zeke's. The customer interfaces are really intuitive and easy to use. and does the basic stuff like remember your past orders and stuff so no we feel like it's been a really good success so football season is here and uh, you guys over at zeke's love football season because football season kind of means pizza what's pigskin 10 we get excited for football season at zeke's yeah like you say because hey we're football fans but it is a great pizza season as well and so if you remember when we did march madness we did a promo called hoops 10 which got you ten dollars yeah. off yeah. your order and it was one of the most popular things we've ever done with customers and operators, Zeke's operators. And so we're going to do something similar for football season. And so, yeah, the code pigskin10 is going to be active all football season and on what we call football days. So on Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays, all day, mm -hmm. pigskin10 will get you $10 off your Zeke's order. There's an order minimum of $30 after the discount, but it's good for delivery. It's good for pickup. It's good for in-house. If you're in-house, you just mention it to a crew member and they'll apply the discount. But yeah, no, Pigskin 10, it's going to be awesome. $10 off your order all football season on football days. That's great. Pigskin 10, enter it on the app or online or if you go into the store, make sure you mention Pigskin 10 on a football day to your Zeke's Pizza representative. We love Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. In the pocket, watching downfield. Mitchell, touchdown, Texas. It's New Heisel time on this episode 254 of Mitch Unfiltered, presented by Taco Time Northwest. Always looking for good people to join their team who enjoy doing some work. Taco Time NW.com. Did you know, by the way, the Taco Time Northwest now offering child care assistance qualifying full-time employees are eligible to receive up to five thousand dollars a year to assist in child care here he is rick gerald neweisel who told us the colorado buffaloes would cover the number against the nebraska cornhuskers one and oh and what bob levy is saying right now rick is but why you're ahead that's enough rick <laughs> You've proven that you know a little about. Walk about away from the, the table. Stuff. Walk <laughs> exactly. away from the dice Walk table. <laughs> it's been such a nice evening. <laughs> also, by the way, your Heisman Trophy pick. Oh, when you, you were noticed. 20, you noticed, oh, my 20, guy. Well, look, nice I'm going to give you credit. Evening. I'm going to give you credit where credit is due, but don't think that this is going to last forever. 24, oh, 24 of 38, 349 yards, Three touchdowns, no interceptions, and I'd imagine in Austin, they're off of Sark's back at least for another week. Without question. You know, the only guy who really wasn't nervous, you know, the only guy who wasn't nervous on Saturday was Sark. 
you looked at the team. There were some guys dropping the ball. Uh, Ewers was skittish. His footwork wasn't, uh, you know, what I'd call mid-season form. There were some blocking miscues. The guy who was absolutely ready to play, and I think his confidence ended up spilling over into the team, was Steve Sarkeesian. He knew exactly what he had. He knew he walked into there with a with a full complement of weapons. He knew he had a tight end that could catch anything. Maybe not great blocker, but he could catch anything. Uh, he had great speed to, to challenge those corners. Kool-Aid McKinstry still wondering where's the Kool-Aid, right? <laughs> it, it just, they, they had what they needed. It just needed a little time to get organized and to feel and mm. just uh, let that confidence that Sark had seep in. It was really fun for me as a former coach to see him be in that complete mindset of I'm in the moment I'm coaching. And then all of a sudden realized the game had been won when Alabama jumped off sides at the end of the ball game. And he realized we're done. And now all of a sudden he came out of character and you could see the joy of the kid that Steve Sarkeesian can be. It, it was really cool to see. I, I sent him a text as soon as I saw that, because that was uh, unfiltered as we like to say, ah, uh, unfiltered. unfiltered. I know you like that, Mitch, yeah. but, but uh, that was a great win for Texas and it wasn't an accident. Nick Saban, it's hard to win games when you don't have superior talent. It's just difficult. The first thing you have to do to win a game is to not beat yourself. They were a little bit skittish, as I said earlier. They ended up realizing we're as good as these guys, and it became more evident to everybody watching the game as the game wore on. And uh, it wasn't an accident. Great win for Texas. Let me make a statement, and you can scold me. If I'm wrong, I have never been more convinced Rick Neuheisel after one week that Alabama will not be in the playoff than I am right now. In fact, if you offered me five to one on my money, if you said, Mitch, I'll give you five to one on Alabama being one of the final four teams, I wouldn't take it. I was unimpressed with Alabama I don't think they can run off the wins that they'll need to run off with that quarterback. He's a great runner. He's far from a finished product throwing the ball. I thought what you were going to say was Sark knew what he had. Sark knew what he had. And I thought you were going to graduate to Sark also knew what was on the other side. And this wasn't the same Alabama team that we've seen in previous years. Well, you're exactly right. Sark recruited Jalen Milrow to Alabama. He was the guy responsible to getting Jalen Milrow to switch from, ironically, Texas to Alabama. And now he's on the other side. So he knew the skill set. And it was much like Jalen Hurts ones at Alabama when all of a sudden it dried up. Remember, they were down 13 nothing in 2017 against Georgia. And Jalen Hurts had done nothing in the first half. And they went to Tua and threw 24 passes in the second half and won the game. Is there a Tua Tungabailoa on the sideline now for Alabama? If not, I'm with you. No mm -hmm. chance at the playoff. Mm -hmm. As for Texas, and I know I probably shouldn't do this. This is a, a dangerous proposition, but I will. When you look at schedules of the big teams, and I look at Texas's schedule the rest of the way, I only see two currently ranked teams on Texas's schedule Neither one of them is in the top 15, Oklahoma and Kansas State. Oklahoma on a neutral field, of course, and Kansas State at home in Austin. And then their road games are Houston, who lost to Rice, 
Baylor, who lost to Texas State. TCU, who lost to Colorado. Iowa State, who's already lost a game. I don't know that there's, and I'm not saying Texas is going to be the Final Four, but I'm not sure there's a smoother path amongst the big teams than Texas is looking at right now. I totally, totally agree with you. Now, what we've known about Texas since 2009, and this is an interesting uh, dichotomy when you look at Alabama and Texas, since they played for the national championship at the conclusion of the 2009 season, Texas has had one 10-win season. One. Alabama's worst season in that run was better than Texas's best. best. With that being said, Texas has been prone to beat themselves. So they have got to show the consistency and the maturity to be able to handle opponents that they're better than. Oklahoma has looked. Dylan Gabriel's a real deal. Kansas State has looked terrific. That Troy team that went in there was a good team. They beat them in a lopsided manner. Uh, those two games will be meaningful. But like you said, neutral and home, yeah. Texas has got it in their own hands. Right. As I wonder aloud to you about Alabama, is it time to wonder a little bit about CBS's beloved, at least for another year, SEC? I've got LSU who lost to FSU. I've got Texas A&M, ugly loss to Miami. I've got Florida, a loss to a Utah team that had everything they wanted with a Baylor squad that had lost to Texas State the week before. I've got South Carolina who's lost to UNC. Is it possible? Is it blasphemy to say that maybe the SEC is just a little, maybe a half a tick down from where it normally is? We are not seeing the typical SEC pass rush that has been their hallmark over the last several years, which is why they've run roughshod over the rest of college football, whether it be the transfer portal that has an NIL luring people out to other places and creating better uh, depth uh, elsewhere. Uh, we have not seen the great pass rush. Uh, I watched that Texas A&M Miami game. I did too. Texas A&M supposed to have five star after five star after five Where star. Where were they? Uh, Tyler Van Dyke stood back there and counted the house. Yeah. It, it, that can't happen. And if it does, you're in harm's way, which is why you're seeing what you're seeing early on with the SEC schedule uh, in the non-conference. I gave you your props, Neuheisel, on Quinn Ewers. You know, we have a li- we have a season-long wager Quinn Ewers for the Heisman versus my guy out here, Michael Penix for the Heisman. Our guy your out guy, here. Your guy did some work. He did, I'll, give, uh, I'll yeah, give him credit. Yeah, it was only Tulsa, but 28 <laughs> of 38, 409 yards, three touchdowns and interception. But you know what? I don't even want to talk about Washington this week. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the Cougs. I think the Cougs deserve a little attention. They've been crapped on for the last six months by everybody in the college football world. Left behind... Everybody's gone off and done their thing. The Cougs go to Colorado State and week one play great. Their quarterback plays great. They come back and face a Wisconsin team that was pissed off about what happened a year ago in Madison against Washington State. They beat them again. They belong in the top 25. This is a very good college football team. I mean, you have to give credit where credit's due. There's no question about it. That has been a fantastic start for Jake Dickard, especially given all that's going on away from the field. I mean, we have uh, injunctions being filed by the PAC-2, Oregon State and Washington State, saying, wait a minute, we're not going to have a league meeting 
called by the board of directors. None of you can be board of directors. <laughs> you you all forfeited your right to be board of directors when you said we're packing our stuff and we're right. going elsewhere. Right. Whether it's the Big Ten, the Big 12, or the ACC, right. the, all of you are nonsense. We're the big two, and we can call right. our meetings. And, <laughs> and, if, and, and by... By so doing, they're trying to get the court to say they hold all the purse strings to everything that's left in the pack, uh, too. And I I love this story because I think the entire country is pulling for the pack, too. I think they no matter be. if you have should be. if you have. If you have an allegiance to any of the schools, you know, if you're a Washington fan or I'm a UCLA fan, I think we're still go get them pack two, go get them and take all your your wares and find a way. And while they're doing so, they're playing brilliant football. Washington State, as you pointed out, the Colorado State game was one-sided. To go and knock off a talented Big Ten team that is trying a new offense and a week ago had two backs go for over 300 yards against Buffalo, and to be able to stop them and for Cam Ward to kind of continue what has been a brilliant beginning to a season Mm -hmm. and get a win two years in a row against a ranked opponent from a conference that's supposed to be in the Super 2 that just says everything you want to know about the guts of these two teams, Washington State and Oregon yeah. State. Yeah. And I'm pulling for both of them all the way through. Me too. And you talk about the ability to excel with everything circling around them off the field. And there's no bigger story this week, this weekend in college football than what Washington is heading into in East Lansing. You and I have been talking about it for years The head coach of Michigan State strikes pay dirt. He hits uh, the home run Mel Tucker with the $80, $90 million contract, the richest of its sort at the time that he signed it. And now this. Reports all over the place. Sexual misconduct, a big investigation. He's suspended. How in the world does that team function on Saturday against a good Washington football team? It is a... uh... Wild, wild story going on in East Lansing. I don't know who takes over. I know when things like this happen, there's sometimes a galvanizing feeling about the team that when someone gets up in front and says, hey, listen, this isn't us. We need to focus on the game and do all the right things and Mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. And with the proper leadership, it can lead to a really focused attention to detail as they get ready for Washington coming to town. But this game was one-sided last year. I know it's a home game for Michigan State, but with all this going on, I can't imagine how you stay focused if you're on campus there. And so you have to give the big edge. And and listen, this is the kind of thing, if you're Kalen DeBoer, you're nervous as hell. You're sitting there going, wait a minute. Now these guys are all going to have this rallying cry, you know, and so on and so forth. We we saw Michigan say we're win one for Jim, right? Uh, free Jim Harbaugh and all that kind of stuff. And that's for different sort of uh, allegation. But but this, this is going to be one of those deals where the team is going to rally in some way. That's what Kalen DeBoer is going to be worried about. So he'll have his team ready. But a story unlike anything we've seen in recent memory it's kind of wild you don't think michigan state beats washington i don't i i would take washington right now that's a four and a half point line i i I would take the dogs it's not going to be my pick of the week i don't want to because i i worry about what the heck's going on there okay but uh but i i would take washington washington has looked too good in the early going and played defensively really well this last week as well before i get your pick of the week presented by taco time northwest and 
we uh, identify some people that were doing some work. Before we do that, you have to explain something to me because I don't know that I necessarily get it. Maybe I'm my head's in the clouds, but Colorado beats Nebraska, and then Deion Sanders' son, the quarterback Shador, says he was disrespect. They were disrespected by Nebraska before the game started because they congregated on the Buffalo at midfield. Now, I grew up in the 70s. I don't ever remember this being, you know, in the last many years, I've heard this before. Don't dare go to the star in the middle of the Dallas Cowboys. Don't you dare celebrate at midfield. I don't remember Don Shula. Terrell ever, Owens. You remember when yeah, he went out there yeah, to put the ball yeah. down? And I don't remember Don Emmett. Shula ever having a problem with people that congregated on the little dolphin that was at the midfield. What's the big problem? What am I missing here? Listen. <laughs> What? One of the great things that Deion Sanders has the ability to do is get his guys riled up over nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, standing at midfield to watch the other team go through their their, their paces is the norm, right? There's usually a handshake. We don't usually move aside so that we're not touching any paint that might be there at midfield. That just isn't the question. <laughs> now, but but there was disrespect and, and Dion had made the the point that this was personal. If you'll recall when Dion first arrived, Matt rules, a new coach at Nebraska. Sure. When Dion first arrived, he had that giant press conference and where he told everybody that many of you are not going to be here, right? I'm you're bringing my own luggage and it's Louie and, and, and so on and so forth. And there were some coaches around the country that didn't say Dion's name, but did say publicly that I just want to coach my guys. I'm not trying to run anybody out of here. I just want to coach the guys that want to be here and so forth. One of those coaches was Matt rule. People said, was this a slight to Dion? Uh, uh, and uh, you make of it what you will, but uh, Dion never missing on an opportunity to use, <laughs> use, use everything as ammunition. Yeah. I'm sure made the point that Matt rule was on that side of the coin. And so when Shadur scored his, uh, the two point conversion and took his helmet off and cost the team a 15 yard penalty, Dion went over there and tried to chastise him. You could never do that. He says, but dad, it's personal. And Dion said, I had to laugh. <laughs> well, <laughs> what comes around goes around. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, but the Dion and the Colorado phenomena is still one that we're all just really still trying to get our arms around. Here comes game day this week, the Colorado state, Colorado game, two teams. what they combine for Mitch last year? Did three, four wins maybe, at most, maybe, right? Maybe uh, their game day, their game day in week three, here comes the entire crew. <laughs> and uh, I mean, and the ratings will be off the charts. You know what? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Hey, new congratulations gonna, to everybody involved. Are they gonna okay? They've beaten the TCUs and Nebraska's of the world. In two weeks, when they're asked to beat the Oregons and those types of teams, the Oregon States, the USC, or, the UCLA. Oregon and USC are weeks yeah. four and five. That's yeah. right. Are they gonna be able to beat those teams? No. no. They will only win those games in a shootout. Their defense is not quite ready for championship play. But 
I put nothing past him. Okay. I've been nothing but impressed. All right. I, I've watched uh, beautiful football. And even while they weren't playing beautiful football in the early going, their defense hung around. It's going to be a reclamation project for Matt Rule at Nebraska, but but gosh darn, is Colorado fun to watch. Taco Time Northwest always celebrates those who love doing some work, be it on the football field or in one of their family of restaurants, tacotimenw.com. You can be interviewed within minutes of requesting a chat at tacotimenw.com. Would you like to receive or would you like to kick? I'm one? taking the ball, Mitch. I'm taking the ball okay. uh, and I'm going with my guy. Okay. You, you, you lambasted me for not mentioning okay. the great uh, performance of Michael Penix from a year ago and prognosticating that he would have a similar type performance this year, given all the receivers that are coming back. And I certainly agree with you that that is absolutely in the offing for the uh, young signal caller for, for the Washington Huskies. But Quinn Ewers had this stage, a stage unlike any other. When you go to Tuscaloosa and take on the grandmaster, that being Nick Saban, a uh, guy who hadn't lost by uh, more than seven points since his first season at Alabama against Louisiana Monroe. He double-digit victory. Quinn Ewers, 24-38, well over 300 yards, three touchdowns, bombs away to guys like Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. I guess he doesn't like going by AD anymore. So the bottom line is we got a guy that's confidence went through the roof. He's going to get coached hard in the coming weeks so that the footwork keeps coming along, but the arm talent is clearly there. They have an unbelievably talented wide receiver there in Jatavian Sanders. They have everything you need. And I just think Texas, with that defense giving him the chances, we got a guy doing work. Doing work. In Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers. And I knew you would take Quinn Ewers, and I knew he would be off the board. I want to say two things, and I know you're going to agree with the first sentiment. There's a clear taco time doing some work and I think we all agree that Mike Hollins and the rest of the University of Virginia for having the courage Excellent and point. to take the home field after that horrific tragedy last year where he lost his teammates, that whole Virginia group, win, lose, or draw against James Madison is the obvious choice of all of us for doing some work. Having said that, and now that you've taken Quinn Ewers, I'll just say this to you, Rick. There was Kelly and Kozar. There was Vinny and Gino. <laughs> there was Dorsey and Walsh, and now there's Tyler Van Dyke. And I'll just say he took a lot of grief last year. There's something about you in Miami. It's just he took a lot. It's so close to home. <laughs> he took a lot of grief last year, and against Jimbo's five-star defense, he chewed him out. He chewed him up, and he spit him out. Twenty-one of thirty, Rick. 374 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. Hey. That, my friend, is the Taco Time Northwest definition of doing work. My guy this week is Tyler Van Dyke. I love the call. I, I think he deserves it, and I want to go along with him, Shannon Dawson, who is the new offensive coordinator at Miami. Okay. Uh, they decided to change after last year and, and went away from that offense coordinator, Mario Cristobal tab, Shannon Dawson, who came from Houston to be that guy. These guys are working together really well. There are some weapons outside, but that offensive line gave them ample time to make the plays down the field. And it was uh explosive play after explosive play. 
for a team that is as highly recruited as that defensive team is, DJ Durkin is their uh, uh, defensive uh, coordinator on that side of the ball. For them to score 48 in that game, that's that's a monumental uh, deal. And it, and it, and by the way, while we're still wondering who Clemson is, it may be Miami that gives Florida State hold on the biggest challenge. Hold on, hold your horses, sir. There's a Harvard of Central New York that's going to have plenty to say about that conference. You don't like that, you, that, you don't that brilliant you dare. first half against Western don't, Michigan, don't, don't you? Don't you dare forget <laughs> it, Mr. Newhart. All right, I need a pick. You want to know, you had a great year on our show anyway. A year ago, you're off to a good start. You took Colorado minus just a couple of points, and they they, they made it easy for all of us who bet them. What are you going to do as an encore as we have the lighters up here in the audience and we're asking you to come back out on stage for another pick? What are you going to do? The Troy Trojans went to Kansas State last week and got beat. And I thought given 16 and a half points, they were going to be formidable. And they were for a bit. But uh, give Kansas State their credit. Troy returns home to take on James Madison, who beat your Virginia Cavaliers over the weekend, right, right. came from behind down 35-24 and scored right. two touchdowns late to get the 36-35 victory. I'm taking Troy. Troy, double-digit, John Summerall, uh, double-digit victories last year. They won the Sun Belt. They are back at home. That t- loss was the first one in a long time. It won't sit well. And here comes a James Madison team with a little giddy after a late comeback. It's a one-and-a-half-point line. I'm taking the Trojans at home to get it done. Troy minus a point-and-a-half against James Madison is Rick Neuheisel's pick for week number, well, our week number two. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Neuheisel somewhere on the East Coast warming up his golf swing for tomorrow's effort. Thank you, Rick. We'll talk to you a week from now. Look forward to it, Mitch. See you, buddy. It's been a while since we caught up with Jordan Flowers, my main man of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How's everything going in Jordan's world? Hey, Mitch, it's going fantastic. I'm uh, chasing old Mitchie in the Manager of the Year Award for Little League Baseball. How many teams you got over there? You know, I was the manager of two, both my 10 and 8-year-old. Uh-huh. And I got to say... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be giving you a run for your money, Combined man. Combined record? Oh, gosh. We only lost probably six games. Oh, that's six season. more than I lose. I don't lose. Hey, hey, hey. All right, let's talk about the market, the buying and selling market. It's not easy these days, but it's still doable, especially for home buyers. Give us your analysis, Jordan. Absolutely. Uh, inventory is still a little tight, but better than it was. But we are winning a lot of offers and using that 2-1 buy-down program we've talked about. Tell me about that program yes so basically what we do is we are negotiating with the sellers getting a price that they want getting a credit towards uh closing costs for our buyers and they use that credit to then temporarily buy down the interest rate for the first two years of the home so we get through this kind of elevated interest rate period with a two percent lower rate than what market is at are people still buying second homes and investment pieces and what do you have to offer those types of clients yeah 
People are buying in Arizona, California, Eastern Washington, kind of all over. We're helping people buy second homes and investment properties. We've got a couple great options for the investment property buyer, uh, especially uh, using that debt service underwriting ratio that we've talked about in the past where they don't even need to provide tax returns. Really what we look for is qualifying our buyers off of the cash flow of the property. So it's a great program right now for people looking to pick up investment properties at good prices, get an income producing property. Is there a way to have a best guess of what the next six months or a year look like? Does Jordan Flowers have a crystal ball? <laughs> I thought I had a crystal ball, but you know. <laughs> Is it Ernie Zampezi's story? I'm not going to say when. I'm just going to know it's coming, right? Like, we're going to get through this and they're coming back down. I think, I think we should expect for the rest of this year rates to maintain in the 6% range. Maybe we see them by the end of the year get back down in the fives. But I will say when they do come back into the low sixes to mid fives, it will again, open up floodgates for buyers and for sellers bringing properties on. So there is pent up demand. It's sitting there and it's just, we're, we're waiting. Well, I've always loved Jordan Flowers and his team at uh, both companies, not Cross Country Mortgage, the Woodenville office, because they're willing to take your phone call and be creative. Think outside the box and to reach you on a phone that doesn't have a full voicemail, Jordan Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I just got a new phone. Okay. My kids like to tease me that I'm the no upgrader. Okay. I don't upgrade my phone. Okay. I've had the same one for six years. All right. And I've now upgraded and I'm setting up the voicemails. Everything's going to be Phone number? Here. Same phone number? Give us the number, please. 425-890-2957 is the best one to reach me on. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage and JFlow, Jordan Flowers. Without guys like him and companies like theirs, where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Cross country mortgage unfiltered Oilers try to get on the board in the way of a touchdown they trail 21-3 but have life after the bubble recovery and Warren Moon is looking for Ernest Gibbons he's got him in the corner of the end zone touchdown Houston what a pass play my next guest has been a terrific sports writer for a long time I don't want to date him and he has a new book out called Rocket Man, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. But we go way back, likely further than he even remembers or knows. You see, in the summer of 1992, what's that, 31 years ago, when something interesting happened in Baltimore, Tony Kornheiser used to bark at his young radio producer, me, Mitch Levy, in Washington, D.C., Get me Litwin. Get Litwin on the show. And when I would turn to Tony and say, Mike's not available. How about John Eisenberg? He'd say, okay, John will be fine. Just as long as you don't get me Peter Schmuck. Just anybody but Peter Schmuck was, is what he used to say. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know whether you remember all those days, John, but I remember them fondly. Are you kidding? Uh, going on with Tony. And uh, yes, uh, it, it was a great show to be on. I mean, then and now still do a lot of this, yeah. a lot of talking, a lot of radio. I mean, I was a writer, but you had to talk. So uh, I could talk. So that was good. Well, it's great to have you on the show. John Eisenberg is our guest. Uh, the name of the book is Rocket Man. 
That makes like, what, 13 or 14 for you? 11. 11. This is my 11th book. I overshot you. All right, 11. From Vince Lombardi to Barbaro to Lou Gehrig to Cal Ripken, when and why did you wake up one day and decide to do this book? Well, my most recent book before this was some real going back football history. It was called The League. It was about the early days of the NFL and through the perspective of the owners, George Hallis generation, the original owners who sort of kept the league alive uh, when it was a failing enterprise. And that was a successful venture. Publishers said, well, what else you got? And uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson landed here five years ago, now six. And I landed here months after he was told at the combine, are you going to run the 40 because you make a good wide receiver? And, uh, you know, within two years, he's the MVP of the league as a quarterback. And I thought, you know, how did we get here? There were a century into the NFL at the time when I signed to write this book, a century in, and we're still having questions about whether black quarterbacks can should be playing in pro football. I said, so I'm going to do what I do, which is a, a deep dive into the research, into the interview story. I mean, it's not a pretty story. No. But I, I, and you know what? I think in today's world where I think it's really good, let's have some truth here. This is something that did happen, and uh, let's go back over it and uh, – and see how we got here. To you and I and guys like you and I that were alive and remember the 1970s, I remember the mid-1970s when I started to follow football and sports. It's almost unfathomable that it was accepted, it was understood as fact, John, that black players could not play the quarterback position. And you can choose which racist explanation we want to use. We can use because owners didn't think black players could handle the position, which is racist to its very core, or we could use the fact that they were scared of making a black guy the face of their organization, the face of the team. You pick which one, I'm sure it's a combination of both. Yes, uh, not smart enough, not disciplined enough, can't lead, going to put the work in over and over and over again, and it was Baked. It was baked into the the DNA of the NFL. Uh, and, and so I had some interesting interviews. Uh, Upton Bell is uh, the son of Burt Bell, who was a commissioner back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Upton was a young scout with the Baltimore Colts. He tells me and he's in his 20s, you know, a child of the 60s. So different view. And he says, listen, you know, what I heard from the old scouts was all that stuff, all of it. I was incredulous that, uh, you know, because I would go to these some of these HBCUs, see this great talent. So why isn't that guy playing in the league? It's like, well, I mean, it, it was just completely understood. So, wow. you know, when people ask me uh. why, why would you write this book? I said, this needs to be understood that this was a fact. Let's talk about the college games culpability back in the 70s. You know, there were there were black quarterbacks in the college game, especially in the 80s. Lots of black quarterbacks, but they were asked to play a style of football in college that didn't translate to the NFL. They were playing wishbones and options and all of that. How much a part of that was helped in the delinquency of the process moving forward in the NFL? Or would you tell me, look, Mitch, if they were playing 
NFL-style football in the 70s in college, we still would have had to wait until we got there the same amount of time before there were black quarterbacks in the NFL. It, it was kind of both because uh, those option quarterbacks that you're talking about, they, you're right, they were not playing the right style for the NFL. The NFL was very on a drop-back quarterback. It was a, a mark against you if you were mobile. Don't do that. Don't leave the pocket. The coaches didn't like it. They lost control. The, the linemen hated it. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of prevailed. There were a lot of guys who were really good option quarterbacks in that era who never got a chance in the NFL. And you wonder what would have happened. I mean, they yeah. could Gill would be a name. Never lost a game at Nebraska, never. I don't think. Nope. And, and had to go to – had to go to Canada to play. Well, he might have been a great pro quarterback if he'd gotten into the right. Bill Walsh had gotten a hold of him or somebody. Who knows? But he didn't have the opportunity. And uh, there was definitely uh, the, the pro and college game did not mesh. Finally, the pro game began to change, accepting that maybe, hey, maybe a mobile quarterback is a good idea. You know, you got Lawrence Taylor rushing off the edge. It's like good luck to you if you're just standing back there. You better be able to move. You know, so they, they started yeah. to learn that. Yeah, yeah. He says, LT's coming in. It's like, you better be able to move off that spot. <laughs> the name of the book is Rocket Man, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. Two of the central figures in your book, John, we sit here in Seattle, have real strong connections to the Northwest. There was Chuck Knox, who would become the Seattle Seahawks coach but back when he was in Los Angeles we'll talk about the Rams and James Harris and then there was of course Warren Moon who's a central figure in this change and in your book let's start with Knox I remember Harris as a Los Angeles Ram I don't know that I remember the season where he took over for John Hadle and he had that great start but Knox apparently either didn't see color when it came to the quarterback position like everybody else or and or his owner, who was at Carol Rosenblum at the time, was okay mm-hmm. with uh, Knox playing a black quarterback. Go back to those days. I mean, I, I don't know whether he saw color, but Chuck Knox definitely did not. This is not a story, uh, Jackie Robinson style, with you know one guy crosses the white line, plays, and everything changes, and there's a holiday, and you know you can right. pinpoint it. It's not like that. Right. There were moments where the ball slowly moved, and that was a big one. In 1974, there were no black – there had never been – a team had never said, we want him as our starting quarterback, and he's a black guy. They had never said it. Chuck Knox is the coach. It's looked at the practice. You know, they traded John Hadle. He said, I want Harris out there. I don't care that he's black. So credit for really going against uh, an incredible prevailing and decades of stuff and a prevailing notion. He went against it and let him play and went to the NFC Championship game twice. But back to the owner, Carol Rosenblum, he had to get pushback, I would think. No? Pushback from the other owners? I mean, this was a... This was a very risky situation in those days for him. Well, the other owners probably thought, well, the, it'll all blow up. We, we uh, won't have to worry about okay. it, you know. So within two years, and they got to the NFC Championship game, they lost them both, and Rosenbluth said, I'm done. That's it. You know, I want, uh, even though James Harris, a very good quarterback, I think he started 27 games, won 21. 
could have played for years for the Los Angeles Rams. But he said, I, I want more excitement at quarterback. Mm. Uh, he had, uh, you know, owned the Rams, L.A. And, the you know, I want more star power. He traded for Joe Namath, who couldn't even walk anymore. Uh, and they kept drafting guys. They gave the job to Pat Hayden. It was over. Warren Moon. Let's graduate to Warren Moon. University of Washington right here, uh, seven miles from where I sit. Uh, he at one point signed the biggest contract, I think, in NFL history with the Houston Oilers. But yep. like everybody else, 1978, undrafted. How much of that was about color? How much of that was about the style that he played at Washington and his his skills not translating to the NFL he doesn't strike me as somebody who's bitter about those days when you talk to him. I talk to him a lot. A real friend of this project. Warren was great. Uh, not only about his history, but about Russell. He was on the broadcast, the off broadcast, I think, when Russell Wilson came in yeah. and was a real eyewitness from that perspective. It was very interesting guy and a real keeper of the flame, by the way. In 2023, if he sees something he doesn't like, he's the first guy to raise his hand and say, wrong. This is still happening. I, you know, let's not forget where we came from. Uh, but it's the, the fact that he went undrafted. Uh, race definitely part of it in the in the late 70s. So tons of good black quarterbacks uh, were pushed down in the draft or not drafted at all. Uh, the style of play maybe a little bit, but uh, you know the, the 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 things that were used against Warren, oh, maybe his arm were just they were false. I mean, it's a guy threw for 70,000 yards as a pro, so including 50,000 in the NFL. So it was all wrong. And he, as soon as he gets to Canada with the Edmonton Eskimos, he's winning championships. And he had to win five. He had to win five to, before the NFL would say, oh, well, I think maybe give him a shot. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's just almost unbelievable that not only did he go and win one, he had to win five. And so he sat up there. He loved it. But it was time for him to come back. And from the very beginning in the NFL, he was, uh, you know, what you saw for all those years, you know, cool in the pocket, just uh, a winner, you know. And, and honestly, no one did more to disprove all those myths we talked about. No one did more than Warren Moon, uh, because there were no black quarterbacks in the NFL. He comes in, he's, as soon as he was in the league, how we played, it was like, look at that. You know, you're just wrong with that stuff. So good for him. How about the names Doug Williams and Randall Cunningham, John? Well, they're in the same generation with Warren, and it's a pivotal generation. Doug Williams, those are the guys. That's the first generation of guys that really got an opportunity. James Harris, as I said, his was taken away. Uh, those guys got to play. Doug wins the Super Bowl with the Redskins in 1988 uh, with all the eyes of the sports world on him. And it's 1988. It's a long time ago. It's not ancient history, though. You don't I have no idea. I am sure how many minds were changed by the fact that a black quarterback started a Super Bowl and won it. OK, it was just a, a massive, pivotal moment. Doug did that. So I have to ask you, John. While we're talking about Doug Williams, you know, the question has to be asked. The famous anecdote about the pre-Super Bowl media and the question, how long have you been a black quarterback? Black quarterback. Was, it, was it truly asked or is it urban myth? There's a myth to it. It's in the book. There is a myth to it. There's a lot of writing. The, the, the fella, and I didn't know him. He was a sports writer from the South 
Butch John or Johns, he's passed away uh, since. Uh, and he you know, never really lived it down. He, he was an iconoclast himself. He was tired of listening to people asking Doug the questions. He thought he would ask it a different way. It got lost in translation for sure. <laughs> I mean, he was not a – the guy that asked it was not a clueless guy. Doug didn't hear him right. And he did say, well, how long have I been? And he sort of repeated the question. And so everyone took it as fact that that's exactly what happened. So there's a bit of myth to it. You're not going to change anyone's mind. You know, it happened. Doug still laughs about it. And the newish wave of black quarterbacks, guys like Cam Newton in 2010, Colin Kaepernick, Robert Griffin III didn't work out because of injuries, but he was a spectacular special talent, Heisman Trophy winner. Of course, our guy out here, he's not our guy anymore, Russell Wilson. It feels like the NFL decided as a whole this is a good idea in 2010, 2011, 2012, yes? Only at that point, when we're talking, what, 12 years ago, is when it finally changed. Cam and all those guys. Kaepernick as a young player, of course, was just, to me, mind-boggling. Wilson as a young player, uh, reporting that story out, and I was there for those who covered it. I, I guess I, it didn't. It drove home to me how good he was as a, in the first couple of years of his career. That generation that you identified, the NFL said, we are going to adopt the college style of offense, the RPOs, mm -hmm. the mobility, and it's never been the same. I mean, they really did revolutionize pro football because now, you know, you see it throughout. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is, you know, sure, sure. is running these RPOs and all these guys. So that that's the generation that did it. So as we uh, finish up with John Eisenberg and the name of the book is Rocket Man, you can get it everywhere where books are sold, Amazon and the like. What's the next chapter? What's the next book for somebody else to write, John? It feels like we've turned the page and we're never going to look back on black quarterbacks now. But And we have front office guys. We have lots of general managers. I don't know how many. Black head coaches. I don't feel like it was ever seriously tried. And you've got the rules in place about interviewing and you've got to interview a minority. It feels like a weak a weak attempt by the NFL to to grab the appropriate headlines. Where, where are we and why has the same progress not really occurred on the sidelines? It's a great question. It's the question. It's the next book. That's for sure. Not going to be my book. Uh, I'm going to let someone else write that one. Uh, the Washington Post did an unbelievable last fall about uh, this problem. It'd be very hard to top what they put in print. The same stuff, uh, the preconceived notions, and uh, it, it just drives home the fact that uh, don't forget that the power structure, the ownership and the power structure in the NFL is white. It still resonates a little bit. You know, Doug Williams said to me, it's, the good old boy club is still in existence. And he's in the league. He works for Washington. But he's unafraid to say that. I, I don't think the NFL knows what to do. It's hard to control the teams. When they want a coach, they're they're going to say, you know, it's our money, it's our team, we're going to do what we want, I don't care what the rules are, and this is the guy we want, he's going to save it for us, I don't care what, what it takes. Mm. And so uh, you see that over and over and over. So at this point, I don't think the NFL knows what to do. Tony Dungy won yeah. a Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin, you know, uh, uh, to me, a year in and year out, a great coach. Those are yeah. great coaches. 
not enough coordinators either, not enough position coaches. I mean, it's getting better, but, uh, you know, to see him bubble up from the coaching ranks, it's happening more, but not enough. That's for sure. The name of the book is Rocket Man. The black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. It's the 11th. Sorry, I had it at 14. I gave him three extra. It's the 11th in John Eisenberg's career. A, a great sports writer in Baltimore for a long, long time. And I wish you all the very best with this one and anything that else that follows. And all the old ones, too, John. You haven't aged a day as far as I'm concerned. Oh, gosh. I wish that were true. <laughs> I, I, can I say the same thing about you? No. Like exactly the same? <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, well, thank you for those good wishes. I really appreciate it. I, I love coming on with you. It's, it's great. Thank so you, uh, just thank you very much. Great to see you. Good to see you, too. It's been a while since my friend and Mitch Unfiltered partner, John Waterstrat joined us, and there's good reason. He's been busy. An exciting major facelift to some of the fireside showrooms. How are you, J-Dub? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. And yes, it, it has been busy, and we're excited to unveil some new, cool new projects. We have a new sales director that came along, and he's been putting his footprint on the showrooms, and we're excited about what he's doing. We're going to put some new fireplaces you've never seen before, and then we're redoing our whole outdoor kitchen area. Wow. The fantastic flagship Bellevue location was already beautiful, so I can't wait to drop by and see it. So what's the rumor about some big project you're coming up, some enormous fireplace that you guys are ready to install? Yes, our commercial department is doing a fantastic job, and as we've talked about before, we can do almost anything in fireplaces, and custom fireplaces are getting bigger and bigger, and we're hoping to uh, unveil the one of the largest fireplaces in North America. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff. How big? Roughly 25 feet. And you're not going to tell us where it is, but we'll be able to see it sometime? And we'll be able to see it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, that's yeah. going to be fun. So now that we've reached, let's call it the off-season for fireplace use, it's actually, you and I talk about this, one of the better times of the year to start the process of redoing the fireplaces in your home or, like you guys did for us, an outdoor unit. Yes, I mean, when the weather gets nice out there, things go a little bit faster. So we're not fighting the weather, whether we have to extract a fireplace, put a new one in. And then again, outside as well, when you're out there, we can get something done pretty quickly for you right now. And so when you're looking at the off season and you have a schedule and, and you want to get something done quickly, it's the best time to do it. Yeah. Whether it's fireplaces or garage doors, begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. I'll bet you'll end your search there too. It's sponsors like John and Fireside that make our shows and growing guest lists possible. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Hey, look who it is. Katie Versio, the Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. The market's up. How's everything at Evergreen? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everything here is going well. How are you doing? Everybody is good here. I'm ready for the new trivia quiz. The theme today is what? Today we're doing a economic and market update. I'm okay. revisiting some of the questions we discussed at this time last year and just seeing how things have changed. Questions that I undoubtedly missed at this time last year. I'll try to get some answers right and I'm ready for question number one from Evergreen Golf Call. So the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in March of 2022 in an effort to cool inflation and slow down the economy without tipping us into a recession. How many times has the Fed raised rates since March of 2022? Is it seven times, nine times, or 11? It's a lot. 
I'm throwing seven out. It's either nine or 11. 11 sounds extremely high. I'm gonna go nine. So it actually is 11 times. the fastest tightening cycle on record where interest rates have increased significantly. Now we see the two year treasury around 4.8%. So while we don't know what will happen moving forward, if they're going to raise again, if they'll pause or if they'll cut, we think now is a good time to lock in yields on fixed income. And of course, Mitch is in a familiar spot. Oh, for one, I'm ready for question number two. Okay. So in June of 2022, the inflation rate was 9.1%, the highest rate in four decades. What's the current inflation rate as of June 2023? Is it 3%, 4%, or 5%? Well, it's way down, but I don't think it's down to 3 so I'll go 4% B again. It's actually 3%. So inflation has come down significantly over the last 12 months. In addition, unemployment has stayed low, under 4%. Right now, it's under 3.6%. What they've been doing appears to have had some effect on these markers. And there I am at 0 for 2. I'm probably staring at another 0% in the face. I'm ready for question number three. Have a little mercy on me, would you please, Katie? (laughs) All right, I'm giving you an easy one this time. So it's a true or false. Both stocks and bonds are up in 2023. Absolutely true. I'm going to get one right, Katie. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. Stocks are up 19% and bonds are up a little over 2%. So this is following the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio that I know we've talked about in the past. So it's been a strong start in the first half of the year. All the ups and downs over the last many years make this a great time to learn more about my partner, Evergreen Golf Call, a one-stop shop for all of your investment needs. Learn about them at evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. Episode 254, Other Stuff segment, Hot Shot Scott. You didn't bring your guitar? No, I did not. I just, I was thinking on the way home, people are probably thinking, clearly you guys love to sing and to play guitar and have fun, but can you do it without recording it? I mean, do we? <laughs> just do it. Just go to each other's houses and do it. You don't have to record every shitty thing you do. So no, I didn't bring it this time. I took a pass, but what, it was fun. What were you chanting at the beginning of episode 254? Tank for, for Caleb. Well, that's a good place to start then. Okay. Caleb Williams. Is he Did good? You, well, he had 300 yards and four <laughs> touchdowns against Stanford. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. In the first half. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> How bad is Stanford? I watched a little of that game late at night on Saturday night. They were 1-0, Stanford. I thought they were going to be uh, world beaters. He had 300 yards and four touchdowns in the first yeah. half. He and doesn't then he suck. wasn't allowed to play in the second half. Right. And he st- By the way, he gets to only play one half, and it didn't really hurt his stats, right? Like, his stats are still fine per game just yeah. for that one half. Oh, my God. Right. All right, you're going to love this story. Unless you have something over there, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to one go that you're going to love. Okay. You're, I even have it titled hot shots gonna love this one let's do it you ready bryce underwood is a high school quarterback from belleville michigan okay located just outside of detroit hotshot he is a six foot three junior in high school and for a couple of years now has been considered by recruiting services to be the number one quarterback if not the number one overall recruit at all positions wow in the class of 2025 that ain't nothing michigan obviously has made him a priority 
He took a junior day trip to Penn State, and he's deciding, or he was deciding, between Michigan, Penn State, Alabama, and LSU. Okay? Similar to me in high school, but go ahead. And then the phone rang last week. Oh, no. Don't tell me. Quote, it was very exciting when the phone rang and Deion Sanders was on the other side. (laughs) I knew it. God damn it. He's going to get him. It's over. He will get him. It was good to have my first conversation with him. Just let it. Let it simmer here. Just him letting me know that he wanted me there and to lead them to a national championship was exciting to hear. The Underwoods are serious enough about Colorado now that they tried to arrange a flight to see Colorado's home opener against Nebraska this past weekend. The schedule didn't work, so they're going to Boulder for the USC game on September the 30th. Bryce's father says, quote, Prime is a legend. When I was a kid, I wanted to be just like Prime. I played corner. Having that guy on the other end of the phone talking to my son, it was surreal. We really like Colorado. Arguably the best recruit in the country for his class. Yes. And Dion doesn't even really have to recruit him. He's not going to go there. You don't think so? Um, I'll bet you right now that Bryce Underwood does. I I, I have no information. I just know what they're saying. Oh, I think it's over. You think so? Listen to how they're talking. I know. I'm saying Dion doesn't even have to recruit him. They're doing it for him (laughs) by how much they love him. It's over. It's over. I think he will be at Colorado. That's my prediction. I told you they're going to be a problem. There's something about Dion that people just want to go play for the guy. I mean, look what they did this past week. Well, then they're going to get the number one recruit in the class of 2025. The number number one quarterback is going to go to Colorado to play for the Buffaloes, if you're right. He got the number one recruit in the country to go to Jackson State. He sure did. Okay, so I'm I'm not betting against him. I'm betting against him on this one. Really? I say when push comes to shove, Bryce Underwood goes somewhere other than Colorado. Gentlemen's bet? You can't look Dion in the eye and say I'm passing. You just can't. Well, they won't look him in the eye. They'll send him an email. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not here to bet against Dion. I've been saying this whole time <laughs> that he's finding a way to get it done. All right, quick update on Jimmy Graham. He can now enter the 2023 season breathing a sigh of relief as he will not face criminal oh, charges following his training camp arrest. Remember we talked yeah, about that? Yeah, he was wandering in the middle of the street in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, so yeah. 36-year-old Graham, he was arrested near a Newport Beach resort after cops say they observed him walking in traffic. And they tried to take him into custody. He resisted. So anyway, good for Jimmy Graham. He looks like he's going to get the help. He's thanking the police and he's owning all of it. So hopefully he gets the help he needs. Humor me. Can we please take just 90 seconds of Mitch Unfiltered episode 254 to tip our cap to the new U.S. Women's Open champ, please. 19-year-old U.S. Women's Open champ, our talented personable, humble, charismatic 19-year-old U.S. Open champion. She's incredible, Coco. Here's who paid to be there okay. for the championship match on Saturday in Flushing, New York. Okay. You tell me if you've heard of these people. Kevin Durant. Yes. Diane Keaton. <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Spike Lee. Ooh. Charlize Theron. Alec Baldwin out of jail. Amanda Seafried. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Rachel Brosnahan. You know who that is? No. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ellen Pompeo. Doesn't she work right here at a hospital in Seattle? That's right. She does. Used to, yeah. Laura Dern. Oh, yeah. Jason Biggs. Man. You know who that is? Of course. American Pie. Mindy Kaling. Oh, I love her, too. Maria Sharapova. Martina Navratilova. How about Billy Crudup? 
Billy you know Billy Crudup? Crudup, Crudup? Yes. yeah. Good Naomi actor. Watts. Oh, yeah. Sam Rockwell. Wow. Michael Che. Michael Che. <laughs> God, rest in peace to Don Pardo, huh? Eli Manning. With musical guest, Simply Red. Simply Red. <laughs> Vera Wang. The best. And Joe Torre. All were, wow. were there to see the championship match. All of them couldn't resist right. being there to see Coco win her first Grand Slam championship. I got a friend of mine there, guy, well, one of my neighbors. He, he, I don't know if he was at the championship, oh, but he, he went God, to the I U.S. Open and to have been there. went to a bunch of different courts and really, saw, yeah, I know. Him and his daughter went pretty cool trip. Oh, yeah. Got, I love Coco. I'm Team Coco all the way. Yeah, yeah. Not Conan O'Brien because that's also called Team Coco, and I think they had it first. What? You didn't know that Team no. Coco? What? <laughs> During the whole Jay Leno Conan O'Brien thing, there was no. Team. Okay. So when you say Team Coco, it's... It's Team Coco. For the tennis player, not for Conan O'Brien. Team Coco. Okay, fine. I got you. Hey, the United States won't be going for gold at the FIBA World Cup. You see that? The basketball team? Yes. Full of NBA talent? Yes. Yeah. They were the betting favorite to win it all this year with guys like Anthony Edwards, Austin Reeves. It's not really a who's who of the NBA All-Stars. Nonetheless, you know, it was a close contest through the first half. Germany was able to pull ahead in the third quarter, and the U.S. found themselves down 10 late in the final minutes and ended up losing 113 to 11. Now, the U.S. gets to play for the bronze. It's not all bad. USA! USA! I have been saying for 100 years since they changed it. Well, not 100 years. Just send the college kids over there. Let the college mm. kids play so they won't win. You know what? Neither are the NBA All-Stars. So let the college let a college All-Star team go over and rep- represent the United States in an amateur in some sort of an amateur event. We did that. Remember they were like Danny Manning couldn't get it done. So so, and- so that we won't get it done. Yeah, but we're the best basketball players in the world. We can't go over and get no, a bronze. But there's only one thing more embarrassing is actually sending the best basketball players in the world <laughs> and having them play in the bronze medal game. But I, I don't so think... Let's just send the college kids and have them finish eighth. But this and isn't... Then, and then we can all say, well, we sent the college kids. True. I guess we'll have an excuse. But this course, isn't LeBron, Steph excuse. Curry. This isn't... This isn't a who's who. James Harden wasn't they're there. They're still all all-stars. Yeah, they're all good. Right, they're plenty good. They're all good great. And, they're yeah. all making $200 million, yeah. for God's sake. They are. Send the college kids. Do you see Send that? Send the college kids. The story about, I, I, you probably don't know who he is, Borisa Simonic. That's no. That's a 25-year-old member of Serbia's national basketball team. No. He took an elbow to the ribs, a really hard elbow, from a guy named Nuni Omat mm. during their contest in the Philippines. Well, he accidentally hit him so hard that he had to go to the hospital to fix the issues, but he had complications and had to remove a kidney. Had to have a kidney removed because this guy elbowed him so hard. I thought he had so to hard. remove somebody else's kidney. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's... For playing basketball, now you lose a kidney. Lost a kidney. Yeah, and for his part, Omot, the guy that hit him, released a statement saying he had no intentions whatsoever of hurting Did him. Did he make the free throw or not? Crazy. I, I don't think he could stand up. I mean, he took okay. an elbow, Three-point play, it's worth a kidney. It is, I guess, It's yes. a big three-point play on an international stage. By the way, if you're in the Philippines and you lose yeah. a kidney, better than waking up in a bath of ice, not knowing how you lost the kidney. Remember that old, <laughs> <Yes>. that old <laughs> rumor? Yes. <laughs> that people would wake up in bathtubs and look down and they have stitches and they don't know how they yes. lost their kidney. <laughs> You see that ball boy that broke the first rule of being a ball boy at a Marlins game? No. Grabbed a live baseball in fair play and chucked it in the stands, costing his team a run. Which part of it is not allowed? The the grabbing the fair ball or chucking it in the stands? Are they allowed to chuck it into the stands? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you... you, I don't know if ball boys are allowed to chuck it into the stands. You can get underhanded. I don't know. He didn't know. He thought it was foul. It was during the game. I mean, I think the team lost 10-0 anyway, but yeah, it's pretty embarrassing when you're... 
on the field as a ball boy, grabbing ball center and playing and throwing it. I have a related question that you're probably not even going to understand, but somebody in our audience will and get a kick out of it. I have a related question. Who made the rule that J.P. Crawford is the only guy that can throw the ball into the stands to the fans at the end of innings? Have you noticed this? Has anybody else noticed this? No. Every time the Mariners make a final out, yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's a pop-out to the right fielder, a pop-out to Julio, uh, a ground ball to Suarez who throws to first, a strikeout to end an inning. Wherever that ball is, they all throw it to J.P. Crawford so as he's jogging off Do the field, really? he can throw the ball into the stands. That's amazing. Somewhere it's like it's like a rule. It's like a Mariner's rule. J.P.'s got to be the one to throw the ball into the stands at the end of every half inning. I don't know if you've ever... Somebody must have noticed this besides me. Well, it ain't this fella. I never noticed. A couple of games where he didn't play, where he was absent from the field. Yeah. All the players were like looking around like, what do we do with the ball? <laughs> That's true. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I'm going to have to. Maybe each team has one designated person maybe. that can throw it in the stands. Maybe. But I'm that telling can't be, I feel like I've seen outfielders do it, and that can't be right. Maybe Julio every once in a while will catch one deep and he'll toss it into the yeah, center field. Yeah, it like it. I'm telling you virtually every third out, hmm. the ball ends up at J.P. Crawford's hands, and then he does his little lollygag into the dugout and on his way in he tosses it to the fans i'm telling you okay i've watched it i've gone to the games i've watched it now you're gonna get tweet after tweet of people seeing it and knowing that i, I can't Unless wait they're gonna be calling me crazy anyway you see lebron was in saudi arabia no well he was so perhaps he wasn't kidding because he said he'd play in saudi arabia if the bag was big enough <laughs> people thought he the was bag. right people thought he was joking but he ended up in Saudi Arabia. He was watching some sort of tryouts or something. And then Giannis said on camera a few weeks ago about the same thing. He'd be down to suit up if Saudi, if the cash was right. Ah. If LeBron and Giannis end up playing basketball in Saudi Arabia. I quit. I mean. Mitch Unfiltered comes to a screeching That's call. it, right? We yes. got to be done. And, but LeBron was actually in the country. It wouldn't be the worst place to end up. You're 38. You're older. You can't. You're not Depends quite. Depends on who you are. I'm talking about if you're LeBron. Okay. You know, you, you can still play at a high level here, obviously, but yes. you can just kind of mail it in over there. Yeah. For what, what did that soccer player get offered? Like $776 yeah. million? They'll pay anything to wash they, their image. What would they An- pay LeBron anything, James? Anything to wash their image. That French guy was offered $776 million. What could LeBron they ask They paid for? Phil Mickelson, a washed-up has-been who can't break par, $200 million to play golf over there. Right. Jimmy Fallon has found himself in an Ellen DeGeneres type of mess. Did you know this? I saw the headline about crying rooms and all that. Jimmy Fallon reportedly apologized for hours after a Rolling Stone released an expose Thursday in which current and former employees allege that the host created a horrible environment at The Tonight Show with his erratic behavior. I feel so bad I can't even tell you, Fallon reportedly told the staff. Fallon and Tonight Show Runner. What does that mean? Tonight Show Showrunner. Showrunner. What's a they're, showrunner? They're in charge of the whole show. Literally. So a producer. They're a number one after the host. Like they're yeah, the producer. They're not just a producer. They they're oh. in charge of the writers. Okay. Like so, literally, it it is what it says. They run the fucking show. There's so that no one guy's higher. name is Chris Miller. Fallon okay. and Chris Miller run the show. They held a Zoom meeting for employees this past week. Two staffers who were present told senior entertainment reporter Christy Lee Yandoli 
that Fallon said he never intended to create that type of atmosphere for the show. It's embarrassing, and I feel so bad. I feel so bad, I can't even tell you. Rolling Stone reported that 16 Tonight Show employees, 14 former and two current, alleged that Fallon's erratic behavior fostered a toxic work environment. Employees reportedly lived in a state of widespread fear and frequently cried in guests' dressing rooms as a result of Fallon's alleged moods and the constantly changing leadership. It's Ellen all over again, The Tonight Show. If I had to rank who I think would be the biggest a-holes in the history of... He'd be down at the bottom. Way down, like with Happy Kimmel. Happy-go-lucky, nice, nice fellow. Almost right? seems soft, like we'd get yeah. walked on. Yeah. Like, nice yeah. guy. That's hard to Not believe. Not the case. Sorry, Fallon. Sorry, Sorry I feel to like destroy your doing image. that show five days a week just f's people up. I mean, really, I think it. I mean, somehow Letterman managed to, but Letterman was known as a prickly bastard. You couldn't just. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and it was cold in the studio. Very cold, cold in the studio. Very cold. You in couldn't the studio. just walk in and say no. hello. No, like no, there was no. none of that. No. <laughs> none of that. No. No. So I think God, something about doing that show five days a week really makes people crazy. What's the load of a Vegas concert? What do you call the load? Is that loading fans? I don't have never because heard that Ed term. Sheeran is now under attack. Oh, he canceled the show Saturday night. This yeah. past Saturday night at Allegiant Stadium, where the Raiders play, mm-hmm. it was an hour before the yeah. concert was about to begin. He sends out an Instagram saying, "Quote: I can't believe I'm typing this, but there's been some challenges encountered during the load of our Vegas show. Oh, okay. It's impossible to go forward with the show." He wrote. Thousands of attendees were observed waiting to enter the arena with some being treated by emergency medical services for heat-related issues. I know everyone has traveled in for this and I wish I could change it. So if you traveled from like New York to Vegas to see Ed Sheeran, he canceled an hour before the show because of load problems. I don't know what load problems are. Loading in the gear. Loading all of the stage and the equipment and the gear okay. loading in all so the what's stuff. the issue why would he have a problem who knows maybe something didn't show or something broke or some i don't know okay. there's a there's a lot of moving parts when putting on a concert right like there's Jeez. a lot of people putting together shit and the sound system and not pyrotechnics for him but you know there's a lot that goes on well, so i'll yeah, have you know sucks. that i'm going to a concert what tomorrow night no you're not. monday night yes the day that this this show is released I am ignoring Aaron Rodgers and Monday Night Football because I'm mad about the Seahawks. Yeah, good. And I'm going to a concert. As soon as the Seahawks lost, you got on Ticketmaster. But I need tickets no, to something. I, already, I don't I, care what. I already had them. Okay. I'll be dancing on the ceilings at the <gasps> Climate Pledge Arena. Are you really? I will indeed. You should listen to my podcast on the way there of Lionel Richie. Get you in the in the mood. You no, know, I think I'll do that. I've, I've heard that one already. Oh, yes. you did? Yes, I heard them all. I thought you would have loved the uh, him and his dad's relationship. I thought you would have loved that part. I don't remember that part. Okay. Well, his dad passed away at some point. But at the funeral, Lionel said, now I got a problem because I don't want to be Mr. Richie. That's Mr. Richie. Right. Right. Like he goes, I I don't know who to emulate now. I've been emulating my dad the whole time. They had a really close relationship. I am going to dance on the ceiling of the Climate Pledge Arena. Wow. Yes. That'll be fun. I hope so. A million hits. A million. I mean, it's. Will I recognize every song that he sings? Or will there be at least one or two that I don't? Well, he'll throw in I think some Earth, Wind, shit. and Fire is with him. They are, as yeah. a matter of fact. Yes. Have you seen them? He was, on the, he was in the Commodores, right? That's Correct. Right. He was in the Commodores. Yeah. Have you seen Earth, Wind, and Fire? No. Don't miss them. Don't, don't sleep on Earth, Wind, and Fire. You may enjoy well, it's them. it's not the same Earth, Wind, and Fire, is it? 
Well, doesn't earth and wind and fire, don't they change every um, once in a while? The the founding member passed away. It's yes. uh, it's uh, Maurice White, I want to say his name is. Yeah, but his brother, Verdeen White, plays bass. He's still there. Okay. Philip Bailey, I think, is still with them. Oh, Philip Bailey. Sure. See, now you're in. Well, he sang like a duet with who? Phil Collins? Oh, Easy Lover, buddy. Oh. Great song. Get out the guitar. Let's <laughs> sing. <laughs> I would love to. I actually play that one on Easy drums at lover. home. She'll get a hold on you, believe it. It's like no other. And I'm just trying to make you right. see. I've got RIPs. Have you got some other uh, notes before? We... Dream <laughs> I can't stop. You see Gary Busey got in an accident in his car? Is he still alive? But, but, Barely. Listen to this. So he gets in a car I accident. I thought he was dead years ago. He got in a car accident. And he just kept going. He just hit the bricks. Yeah. The lady chases him down. Yeah. My thought was... That guy has a driver's license? Isn't he nuts? Wasn't he nuts 30 years ago? He's out yeah. driving around. Yeah. Wasn't he in a terrible... Yeah, like a motorcycle, motorcycle accident? accident. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. But he's got a driver's license. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. she eventually tracked him down. I, I, I got to tell you this one. Everyone has different personal hygiene habits and rituals, but I'm sure we can all agree that we probably all wipe our backside after going number two, correct? Well, it would seem that not everyone actually does after one American okay. woman well, admitting to not wiping her bum for the past two years. Well, isn't that nice? When you think about it, she says, in nature, no other animal wipes after they use the restroom. So why do we do that? But do they use the restroom? I think she's trying to clean it up and saying <laughs> when they shit, they don't wipe their ass. I yes. think she's trying to clean it up. Use the restroom. Yes. yes. She went on to claim there's got to be a benefit to not wiping. I don't really know what it is, the American said. <laughs> but if God wanted us to wipe, we, if God wanted us to wipe after we use the restroom, oh, he would have built in a way to do that to our anatomy. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, Jesus which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I thought this would be a headline. Why is this a story almost, and not a headline? I know, but the punchline almost is the story. Can't do better than what the story. <laughs> she hasn't wiped her ass in two oh, years. That's shot. unbelievable. I, I got it. Lucky boyfriend. I got it. Yes, yes. R.I.P.'s Dennis Austin, 76 years old. You don't know the name, but when I tell you what he did, you'll know about it. Okay. He co-created PowerPoint. Oh, yeah, big time. Passed away at his home wow. in Los Altos, California. Austin studied engineering at several universities, including MIT, before going to work as a software developer, eventually joining the software company Forethought and co-developing PowerPoint, which everybody has used. He's dead at the age of 76. Wow. And then I have another one. You'll also not know the name, but you'll know what he did. Robert Klein, 81 years old. He wrote the script for the comedy classic Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, did wow. you ever see it? Of course. Who didn't? Kind of a cult classic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Pretty improbable, but hilarious nonetheless. Robert Klein was 81. This is awful, but hopefully it can act as a warning to parents out there. So this company called Paki, I think it's pronounced, the company responsible for the viral one chip challenge. Have you seen this? No. Well, it's taken the products off the store shelves in response to a teenager who died after eating it. So they make these potato chips that are like the hottest chips you could ever eat. And this kid, this 14-year-old Harris Wollabaugh, died in Massachusetts, his mother said, after complications he suffered from consuming one chip at one school. One chip. One chip. They're one so, chip. I think Shaq might have done it on... Passed uh, away? The official cause of death is still pending. His mom claims the school contacted her on Friday about a stomach ache he had after eating the chip, obviously. Oh, my God. Allegedly was feeling better when he got home. However, she says he collapsed and was rushed to a hospital not long after where he was pronounced dead. Mm. 14. Mm. Tell your kids to not eat those cockamamie things. I like how they pulled them off the shelf. 
Something tells me they didn't have to pull them off the shelf. I don't think people are going to be running for that bag after hearing somebody died from it. Lisa Lyon, a game changer in professional women's bodybuilding. You ever heard of her? No. Famously, she posed for Playboy back in 1980, the year before she won the first International Federation of Bodybuilders Women's World Pro Bodybuilding Championship. Okay. Anyway, that was a huge event. So rest in peace to her. 70 years old. That's my last one. Headlines. Five different asteroids will pass by Earth this week, including one as big as a house. Asteroids? Shit, that sounds scary. I better get some more quarters. <laughs> a, a man arrested after trying to run from Florida to London in a makeshift floating hamster wheel. Just another example of the lengths people will go to to leave that godforsaken state. Airplanes exist, and he'd rather do that shit. All right. A human skull was found in Florida a- stories. Oh, still there's a moratorium? Yeah. Florida stories are not allowed. Oh, I didn't show. know. I will not it's ring the bell. It's a new year. I thought maybe. I will not ring the bell for that. A human skull was found in a Goodwill donation box in Arizona. Normally, the Goodwill wouldn't be allowed to keep it, but if it's old enough, it could be grandfathered in. A seven-year-old girl on a birthday trip to Crater of Diamond State Park in Arkansas found a big present. A diamond almost three carats in size, she found. Apparently, the seven-year-old has already sold the diamond to her parents for five whole dollars. A Maryland police officer has been suspended after he was caught on video making out with a woman before joining her in the back of his cruiser. The officer defended his actions by saying he's implementing a brand new technique to check people for drugs and weapons. And finally, a model chases down a thief and uses jujitsu skills to clamp his head between her thighs until police arrived. Not surprisingly, criminal incidents have actually spiked in that area. <laughs> you saw that coming. <laughs> Episode 254. It will get better with the Seahawks, right? I think it'll get better with the Seahawks. Will it get good enough? I think they will be teasing us where they'll have games where they look like against the Lions. They might look uh. like world beaters. I think at some point we're going to probably be ready to... It will get better with the Mariners, right? That's going to get better, yes. The Mariners are going to have you in it. Don't you worry. Episode 254, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) I could have done without the story about the woman not wiping her butt for two years. (laughs) I didn't even get to the diarrhea on the plane story. You missed that one. It's in the books. Diarrhea everywhere. (laughs) Turbulence. 